from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 64. Today's show is brought to you by Braintree, Text Expander, Hover, and Igloo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. How's it going? I'm very well, Mr. Snell. How are you today? Pretty good. Busy, uh, busy time, busy week. Mm-hmm, lots, of, uh, lots of iPad Pro business, and uh, we had a busy show last week, and I think we're going to have another busy show this week. Yep, we're going to mic at the movies later on today. Oh, yeah. Everybody's favorite segment. But yeah. we do uh, have to do some follow-up, and one of the most mm-hmm. important pieces of follow-up this week is bringing Serenity Caldwell back onto the show. Hi, Ren. Hi. <laughs> so we wanted to do some Apple Pencil follow-up, uh, because yeah. now both me and Ren have pencils. <laughs> because we have them. <laughs> the big idea last week was that I was going to rely on you guys to tell me about the Apple Pencil, and so we set it all up, and nobody could get a pencil, <laughs> and so we sort of no, looked sad. at me, and I was like, I don't know, but now you both have Apple Pencils, so this is perfect, because I can listen to you who actually care about these things in a way that I will <laughs> never care uh, talk about the Apple Pencil. So, Ren, you now uh, have acquired uh, your own pencil and you've been doing some some drawing and stuff with it. How are you finding the Apple Pencil for the type of stuff that you like to do uh, digitally from an artistic perspective? Um, well, I have to prevent myself from squeeing on the, on the air right now because <laughs> that's how I feel about the Apple Pencil. Honestly, um, I've been drawing digitally for about 16 years, which seems insane to me, by the way. Um, And I started with trackpad drawing and I progressed to Wacom tablets. And when the iPad came out, I did a very, you know, I've I've used a variety of styluses. And I think we talked about this last week where, you know, there's there's a lot to to be desired from digital drawing. Um, You can't really replicate the feeling of drawing on paper. Uh, it's just not going to happen when you have a glass screen or even a plastic screen. So the manufacturers have to focus on other aspects. They have to focus on um, they have to focus on the lag and the latency being very small, and they have to make sure that the pressure just feels right. Um, and the Apple Pencil has managed to nail both both of these things better as as good as Wacom. Um, you know, or if not very, very close. Yeah, I've, I've found that, like, so it's still it's still clicky, right? Because it's still plastic on glass. And I've noticed that when I'm, because I, I come at this from a more of a handwriting perspective, so maybe I'm kind of lifting and putting down the pencil uh, more frequently, right? Um, so it does make a tapping sound, which isn't as nice. But fundamentally... This is better than anything that I've used as well. Um, and I actually wrote a review, one of the maybe one or two articles I write in a year. Uh, I wrote a review for The Pen Addict um, from the perspective of somebody who is interested in using the pencil for handwriting. And I have Absolutely. to say that fundamentally, this thing is extremely good for handwriting skills, like for, for, for to, to use as something to take digital notes more than anything else ever has been before like you don't have to zoom in to a specific area so you can write in a way that's basically not every word filling up an eighth of the screen um the precision that the apple pencil is able to give is kind of incredible like i i can write smaller than it seems that the pencil can actually pick up so like i'm making movements which are my regular hand movements but the pencil tip seems conceivably too thick to make the tiny, tiny text that I'm able to get from it. Like, I am incredibly <laughs> impressed with how responsive and precise this thing is from a handwriting perspective. 
Well, you think about the other iPad styluses when previously we were trying to write reasonably sized letters with those big, gigantic nibs. And even that you could get kind of a simulation of handwriting, but it was just terrible. And, you know, despite the fact that I use this primarily for drawing, handwriting is always the first thing I test with a stylus because it tells me very quickly how just how responsive the pen is going to be and how precise the, hand, the pen is going to be. Um, because it's a, it's, a, it's a much better real-world test for having to trace over lines. And it is one of the first things I tried with the pencil was writing in big letters, writing in smaller letters, and writing in the smallest possible letters that I could think of. Um, and not only was it able to write in what I would call four or five-point font, but I was able to outline and trace over those letters with pinpoint precision, which has never happened um, yeah. for a digital a digital stylus that I've used. Um, again, Wacom comes close, but uh, the Cintiq, I mean, the Cintiq line has always felt big and clunky and overburdened to me where it's like, okay, there's this big giant display and it's heavy and it has to be tethered to your computer. Um, and the, the tablet interface is unfortunately terrible. You know, the, the Cintiq companion, I just wasn't impressed by um, as a portable solution. And here's this thing. This thing is probably half the weight of the Cintiq companion. Um, and has a retina screen and can connect to your Mac via AstroPad and you can take notes on it on the go. And it just, I don't know. I, the more I work with the iPad pro, especially when paired with the pencil, the more impressed I am. Uh, I was drawing a birthday card for my little sister this morning <laughs> and it was just one of those things where, um, prior to this, if I was, if I wanted to do a full color card for somebody that was, that would probably be nine or 10 hours of work because yeah. I would do the original sketch, then I would scan or take a photo of the sketch to put it on my device. Then if I was working on an iPad, I would just have to suffer through at like 200% zoom with my with one of my styluses and pray that the stroke coming out is the stroke, stroke I want. If I was using Photoshop, then I'd have to hook up my Intuos to my laptop. That would mean I'd have to bring my Intuos and I'm on vacation right now. So that's, you know, extra stuff heavy and then so much so much effort whereas the ipad i did that in three hours and i've been doing i did all of these drawings i was on the plane i did three or four um like live sketches some with some typography in under three hours i think i did three or four and that just it it feels like a real it doesn't feel like a real pencil in terms of the plastic on glass feeling that's not going to happen unless apple figures out a way to make tactics uh fool your brain but it feels as close to a real sketchbook as you possibly can with a digital instrument. And the, the thing that really excites me about this is that Apple's just getting started. This is a 1.0 product, and it doesn't, it doesn't work the way that the Microsoft Surface does. It doesn't work the way that the Wacom does. It's using an entirely new type of technology to try and achieve this, which means that it can only get better from here. And that is mind-blowing to me. That is, that, that is so exciting. Because Wacom's been working at this for what twenty years, twenty five years now. Apple's on year year one publicly. Yeah, that that's the thing that blows me away as well is that this is one Like we've gone from me wanting something to me just having what I wanted. You know, and this, <laughs> but you know, this is the thing that I've wanted since two thousand and ten, though, right? Like I've wanted yes. to be able to do this since the iPad was introduced, but only now am I able to do it. But it's. It's fine because now I've got what I want and it's perfect. <laughs> and it's perfect. Exactly. It's not half it's not half assed. I don't care that I had to wait. And it was it's funny because I've been writing this sort of this experimental series on iMore 
And people responded after my first day with the pencil being like, yeah, but they should have done it three years ago. And I'm like, no, you know what? They started working on this three or four years ago because that's when we started to see patents. And I like to get a 1.0 that's perfect. I would have so much rather had a 1.0 that was perfect than get a 1.0 that was half-assed and felt like every other stylus on the market. The fact that Apple, and also, you know what? I will defend, a lot of people are like, oh man, I love this. Now I want it on an iPad Air or a Mini. Um, I can definitely see this coming to the iPad Air in future in future installments, but I will defend the 12.9 inch screen with my life. The more I use it with the with the Pro, because for sketching, it is it is the perfect size. It really is. It's sketchbook size. Yeah. Um. And and even for writing, you turn it in portrait, and then all of a sudden you have a clipboard that you can write on. It it feels so good in my hand, and I like I I feel like I'm just throw heaping praise on this. There are definitely things that it doesn't do perfectly. Um, but it, I don't know. I'm just so impressed that Apple was able to, to do this and make it work so well. And even in third party apps, even third party apps that haven't taken, um, that haven't taken full advantage of the APIs that Apple's now included for the pencil, they, it still works well. Yeah. Um, saying about the perfection thing, we both keep saying it's perfect and you touched on it a little bit. Uh, when I say it's perfect, the result is perfect. I actually think the the hardware, the Apple Pencil itself, whilst an incredible feat, you know, like I was listening to Jason and John on the talk show just before we started, and, and the idea that it's just, it works, right? You just pick it up yeah. and it works. You plug it in and it charges. There are a couple of things that, that leave a little bit to be desired. Like for me oh, personally, yeah. <laughs> I think the fact that it is just a, a cylinder, um, it doesn't work for me. I really wish that they would have put a flat edge on this thing or a clip. And I know that, you know, I talk about it in, in the piece that I wrote. The way that Apple tried to combat this is to put magnets in the, in the pencil. So when you put it yeah, down, it weights. shouldn't roll away. But what I've found is if you put it down quickly, like if you drop it down on the desk, which is something I do, like I'm writing, I'll just put it down. Like I don't place, mm-hmm. I like put it down. If you put it down with any force, the magnets can end up giving the pencil momentum to move further. Right, and it just like off it goes, like it's just running away from me. Yep. Um, which is, you know, I, I can see why they did it because the the magnets also serve, serve a dual purpose because, well, the weights are magnets, right? So they sort serve that kind of that that dual purpose in the device. I would have liked to have seen a clip. I'm looking forward to what will inevitably be third party clips, right? I just feel like they're yes. going to come. There are already Kickstarters. I don't doubt that. There are probably already yeah. just pencil clips and pen clips for other devices for other pens and pencils. You could probably you just, just throw on, on top, yeah. It will work. Um, but it's just, you know, we're completely gushing about this because for people that care about this thing, it does exactly what we need. And one of, but one of the things that, um, I keep coming back to is this thing is so perfect. Why, why is it so difficult for me to get it? I haven't even mentioned how I got this yet. They're still not in London. (laughs) Marco Ahmed bought one of these for me and FedExed it from New York. And somehow it got to you. <laughs> That's how I was able to get my hands on one of these things. They're still like I've, I'm talking to people in in London still about this. Like in the business teams, mm-hmm. they're still not available anywhere in London. And no. it's like this thing is so amazing. And I'm talking about it. Everybody's writing about it. Everyone's saying how incredible it is. But nobody can actually buy one still. That problem still yep. remains. And it's it's a little bit shocking to me that. Apple, it's it's shocking to me how poorly this rolled out. But my my guess is something happened with quality control, where there was yep. just a huge batch of pencils that something something was wrong. And when it comes down to it, just like would I have rather they shipped it two years ago, or would I would I have rather they shipped it today? 
I would much rather uh, pencils get shipped that didn't have terrible defects in them because then you're looking at a bunch of people who are really upset and they're like, oh, these reviewers told me this pencil is perfect, but then I pulled it out of the box and it has terrible lag or mm -hmm. the pencil tip falls off or the cap. You know, I, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, if shoddy caps were what stopped the whole thing yeah. because I'm still frustrated with the cap. That's one thing we're talking about, build quality. Uh, the weight of the pencil feels amazing. I love the length. It's actually, it's the exact same size as one of my HB pencils, which I need to photograph at some point, uh, which is so funny to me. Um, but the the lack of a clip is annoying. And the stupid cap, I I had a, a, a what felt like a near-death experience where I <laughs> moved into, <laughs> I, I was coming into the, our, you know, where we we're staying for vacation and I dropped all of my stuff on the floor. Uh, and then I was, I picked up my pencil and the cap was gone. And I had this, like, my heart leapt in my chest. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to find it again. And luckily it wasn't that far away. But I'm like, this thing could just fall off and I could never see it again. And then I just have this ugly little lightning nib that I'm going to snap off inevitably. Um, so that is very frustrating to me. And also I will say, I love the fact that you can charge it with the iPad. Because I was drawing, I forget, I was drawing um, the other night while watching Jessica Jones and not close to any of my chargers. And I got a blip on the screen that was like, Apple Pencil is down to 5%. So all I did was stuck, I stuck the pencil into the iPad and set it aside for 10 minutes and that charged it up to like 45%. That kind of thing is really, it's a really smart idea. But, but Apple, you have a smart connector on the iPad. Why would, why lightning... And not the smart connector. Maybe it's just the quick charge wouldn't work quite as well. But the it, sticking the pencil out of the device just does feel very awkward. As cool as it is. It's still goofy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and very precarious. Um, my boyfriend almost snapped it off while, I, while we were sitting on the couch and charging it. And I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> Don't come to like, this. One thing that I yeah. find weird about that is it doesn't sit flush. No, it doesn't. It pops out a little bit. Yeah, which I I really don't like that part. Like it's it's crazy enough that I'm having to do this, but it, it like it wobbles in there. Like it doesn't go all the way in, and that that freaks it freaks me out. But I will yeah. say the same thing. I was taking some notes earlier, and I noticed it was down to ten percent. I was just going to take a break for a bit. I just plugged it in ten minutes later, and it's at like sixty percent. It's like well, I mean, you know, it's like I I get why they're doing it this way, but it. You know, it still kind of is a little bit like, ah, but it does work, right? So, and it's the way I would want yeah. to do it is I have the device with me. I'll just plug it in. It basically takes no power away from the iPad to charge the thing. It works, but it's still super freaky as a as a thing to do. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the part of it that really feels like a 1.0 to me. And again, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if the cap is what's holding up a lot of pencils shipments i ended up getting one um ironically i had um <laughs> i had the pr team finally send me one and then it got delayed because of a crazy a crazy shipping malfunction so i ran i heard that pencils in the northeast might have gotten around so i ran to the nearest uh my nearest store and they had like eight on display and i it took all of my gumption not to buy all eight and send them to various people that i knew who wanted them but i just i ended up just getting one and then the other one came the next day so now i have now i have two pencils 
but uh, mm. but one is still in the box because I feel like yeah. I when I when mine arrived, I was like, great, I'll cancel my order. So I canceled my online order, and now I've regretted it because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna lose this. Yeah. Like I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna break it, and then my life's gonna be over. So like, I, yeah, I know exactly. I, I need to track one down now. So I'm probably I need gonna a do spare. That. Yeah, I feel like I need I feel like I need a spare because this has so quickly become an integral you know an integral part of my workflow that. If I lose this, I'm going to be, or break it, I'm going to be so sad. Because it's just so, it's so nice. I have sketched more in the past four days than I have sketched in three years. Yep. Um, it's just, it's it's fluid, it's natural. Um, it, you know, I, I wrote 3,000 words on it on iMore just because it's just, it's so easy to. And I haven't even done thorough handwriting. To, you know, I've just, I've been doing typography with my drawings. But Mike, it sounds like it's... It's really phenomenal. And we haven't even talked about palm rejection, how good palm rejection is. <laughs> it's magical. So this this is the thing, right? So one of the issues that I've always had with palm rejection, like the, the, the palm rejection that people build in software is I'm left-handed. And it tends to yes. be that there may be left-handed modes, but they tend not to get the same amount of care and love. But the palm rejection, like I was just testing this, like I was just drawing a line on the pencil and running my other hand all over the iPad and nothing happens. It's like the, the the pencil is the only thing that's recognized. Like it works perfectly. Like the handwriting, it's just, it, you know, I write with this thing and it looks the way I would expect it to look. And that is the most important part for me. Um, and the yes. palm rejection is 100% perfect for me. I like lay on this thing and write like the same <laughs> way that I would be laying on a table and writing. But there's one other point, though, that I find really interesting, which is using the pencil as an input method for the iPad yes. full stop. Yes. Like <laughs> I, I sit and just use the I, I use the iPad with a, with a pen. Like you use it with a stylus constantly and it works great because there are some things where the precision really helps, like text selection. Like hitting a word mm -hmm. and dragging the the pointers is is way easier with the pencil. I sit and like scroll lists in Tweetbot, and one of the reasons that this is so comfortable for me is for the last maybe month I've been using a Intuos tablet, a Wacom Intuos tablet, to control my Mac. iMac. Like that is how I now interact with my iMac. So it works so perfectly for me to pick up the pencil and interact with my iPad in that way. Um, one thing that I tried that I liked was I installed the swipe, uh, the Swift key keyboard, and I was oh, yeah, using yeah, yeah. the swipe stuff like as a way to type out messages. You just swipe it, but you know, keyboard support on the iPad sucks so bad that you kind of don't want to really use it seriously. <laughs> but like eventually, when they fix Something the keyboard fix. problem, uh, it will work even better for me. But like I've I've just been really pleased with just using this this device with a pencil and and it works so great for me to just like tap this piece of ui drag this over here drop it down type something with both hands pick it back up i could not be happier and it is complete i mean i already love the ipad pro but now it's like a whole next level the pencil the pencil makes more of a difference to the ipad pro to me than any hardware keyboard ever will yeah, um, whereas hybrid hardware keyboards they're nice for for writing uh, but you're absolutely right. It's funny to me because I think of the pencil as very much an old world device, right? Mm -hmm. um, pens are one of the earliest things we we moved to after touch. It's like, okay, now we're cave painting. Oh, hey, we can sharpen a stick and then write with it. Hey, that works. <laughs> um, so it's it's so funny to me that we're going back to that sort of integral. Um, we're holding, you know, we're holding an input device, but we're also using our fingers, and we also have the opportunity to use the keyboard. And it it really gives like what I love about the iPad Pro right now is that it's giving you the option to choose which input device is best for you at yep. at 
what particular point. And I absolutely agree with you about the input. People being like, me, 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 styluses, blah, 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 doomed, um, can go just sit in a corner because here's the thing. Some people, you know, some people don't want to touch the screen all the time. Um, or you're right, absolutely, the precision. I've been using um, the pencil to do a lot of video editing. Um, and what's really, really cool about iMovie on the iPad Pro, and it is very limited, but there are some really great chest, uh, gestures that allow you to do uh, to do kind of, do things that you would normally just use keyboard commands for. Uh, and one of those things is cutting up clips. You swipe down to cut a clip in two. And I've been using the pencil to to cut and move clips around with no problems whatsoever. And I love it. And I also, I, I love that you can use both the pencil and touch gestures. You know, you can do multiple things at once with it. And it's just, I don't know, it, it, it feels so natural. And the fact that this is 1.0 just makes me so excited for, for all of Apple's problems with 1.0 products in the last year. <laughs> They're like... We're going to mess up everything else, but the pencil is going to be the one good 1.0 product. You just wait, guys. It's all going to be okay. Now, that's, that is how I feel. Like, you know, we've, we've had so many things on this show recently that have made us sad and angry. Um, but this one, you know, it's, it's filling me with the joy and delight that Apple products should and have done for so many years. Yeah. And even if you're not a sketch, like someone who draws or someone who writes with any regularity, I really think you should go give the pencil a shot, like people listening, if you can find one. And even just in the demo room, it's so funny to me because I've been giving, you know, I've had my iPad Pro around and people are like, oh, hey, that's a thing. And I'll hand the pencil to them. And the like, step one, I say, you can put your hand on the screen because inevitably they start to try and write like curved around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, no, put the hand, put your hand on the screen. And then I say, try writing because they automatically dismiss writing as something that you could even do with the pencil. And their face, like everybody I've handed this to, their faces light up, like in a in a way that's really, really impressive to me. Like the original iPad made some people really excited, um, some of my friends really excited, and some people are just like, yeah, whatever. The the pencil, everybody I have tried this is like, oh my gosh, oh I I could use this, I need this, this is awesome. Like it's it's universal joy, which is really awesome. Without a doubt, yeah, I'm. We could probably do this forever, but uh, I, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm concerned Jason's actually just left the room now. I know. Jason's like, I'm bored. I'm done. <laughs> He's sleeping. I'm getting a lot of other unrelated work done right now. So thank you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I did want to say really quickly before we wrap up, um, I tested the I tested the Microsoft Surface Book and Surface Pro 4 against the iPad Pro. Or not really against. It was more like I visited the Windows Central offices and was like, "Hey guys, let me draw on your Surface Book for a little while," because um, I know some artists who have a Surface right now and are like, "Well, I just spent this money. Should I go over to an iPad Pro? What's different? What's awesome?" Um, the Surface is still pretty good. Like the the Entrig technology that powers the the Surface's pen is actually not bad, but I think the pencil wins hands down in writing, just absolutely. Um, and and there's so much, even even though the Surface runs a full operating system, I think that there's so much you can do with the iPad um, as is. And then also you introduce apps like AstroPad, which turn your display into a second screen specifically for artist work. So using Photoshop or any, any uh, app that has those kinds of compatible tools. 
there's there's a lot of ways to work around this. And there are great native apps on the iPad that you can start a drawing, say, in Procreate and export it to yep. Photoshop if you really need to finish in Photoshop. Um, I don't necessarily know if people should trash their Surface and immediately run out and buy an iPad. The Surface is still a pretty, pretty good tablet. But I think it's a difference between this is... Microsoft, you did a pretty good job. This is not a bad tablet, and it's a it's an interesting concept too. The iPad Pro is the device that I want to carry around. The pencil is the device that I I would hands down, you know, buy this in a second, not look back. Without a shadow of a doubt. Now I'm sure you're going to continue writing uh, tons of great stuff on imore.com about all of this. So much, <laughs> so much. Ren, thank you so much for joining me because Jason wouldn't have given me this level of excitement back. So that's <laughs> well, I'm I'm here for you, Mike, by bringing in other people to be here for you. <laughs> Ren, thank you so much for joining us. Where else can people find uh, find you online? Thanks, Mike. Uh, I can be found at Saturn S E T T E R N on Twitter and Instagram, and of course on iMore every single day, where I'll be writing and drawing lots about the iPad Pro and pencil. Thank you, Ren. Thank you. All right, Jason, let me take a quick break and thank our first sponsor for this week, and that is Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you are a mobile app developer, you should check out Braintree. Braintree is the payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experiences in these apps completely seamless almost magical, you could say. And now you can add a similar experience to your own app as well. With excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree will get you ready to receive payments quickly. Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means that you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is also here to help solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. When your customers add something to their checkout, Braintree is going to make sure that it makes it super, super simple, super easy to make sure that they stick with their purchase. Braintree also make payment experiences in some of your favorite apps seamless and magical. Now you can add a similar experience to your own app as well with a full stack payment solution, support for all payment types that your customers might want, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo cards, and more, all of a single integration. And it's with you across all platforms as well with superior fraud protection and their fantastic customer service and again those fast payouts to learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee free go to braintreepayments.com slash upgrade thank you so much to Braintree for their support of this show so Jason would you feel better now if we spoke about some kind of clicky keyboard for a while would that make you feel a little bit better <laughs> it's I'm we talked about the keyboard a lot last time it's it's fine it's good. We're still in the follow-up, too. Do you realize that? I am fully aware of that. That was like a... We'll have to come up with some new name for what we just did. Yeah, I don't know. That's another John Syracuse and not approved uh, adjective to use to describe this thing. Or preposition, I guess. Follow-over. But there, there <laughs> is a piece of follow-up. Yes, special guest a... follow-up. It's good. It's exciting. Special guest follow-up. There we go. We got it. Nice work. Uh, there was something from a couple of weeks ago that we mentioned that you ended up digging up, which was you mentioned in passing a week, well, was it a month, that where Apple basically announced something every day, right? Oh, it was even longer than that. It was a long, a long stretch of time where they they kept on every Tuesday there would be another press release that would drop, and we and at some point we mentioned to the PR people, um, hey. 
it's been three or four weeks in a row with press releases and they said up oh, we're just getting started it's going to be a busy year and and we all looked just like seriously and sure enough the next week another press release and the next week another press release and it went on seemingly forever and they have an awful stuff. What are some of your favorite highlights from 2008's press release? Madness? So 2000, 2008, it turns out, I did dig around and find that, that 2008 was the right time. Um, 2008, at the beginning of the year, uh, let's see, they, on the 8th of January, they introduced a new Mac Pro and they introduced the XServe. On the 15th, they introduced the MacBook Air time capsule. I think this is basically a Macworld Expo. Uh, keynote uh iphone software update uh ipod touch software update uh apple tv software update <laughs> that was the macworld expo keynote um on the 22nd of january they added a pink ipod nano big big deal seriously but uh, seriously that that was one of those things where it's like um we need a press release this week, but we're really tired from Macworld Expo. What should we do? Uh, just put the pink Nano in the press release and that'll be fine. There's a whole press release about Apple adds pink to the iPod Nano lineup. That Literally, <laughs> that is what the press release is. Oh, these were innocent times. On January 30th, they announced that the MacBook Air was shipping after having announced it 15 days before. On February 5th, they added new uh, iPhone and iPod Touch models, which is uh, the basically... They did a uh, 16 gig iPhone and a 32 and 16 or a 32 version of the iPod Touch. So they added some new sizes of, of the iPhone and iPod Touch. On the 12th, they released Aperture 2. On the 19th, they uh, cut the price of the iPod Shuffle and introduced the XSAN, which is their crazy storage thing for the, for the XServe. On the 26th, <laughs> they introduced new MacBooks and MacBook Are you Pros. Putting our listeners through the hell now that you had to go through. Is that what's happening here? Then it was March, Mike. And in March, <laughs> oh, no. they, they did March 6th, they did an iPhone 2.0 software beta. Mm -hmm. March 12th, they did an announcement about how many developers had downloaded the iPhone SDK. That was a light week, I guess. March 17th, they introduced the new Airport Express. Mar and the next day, they introduced a new version of Safari, new version of Aperture on March 28th. Um, they, uh, they did some iTunes stuff in uh, the first week of uh, April. So that was kind of a slack week, but there were two press releases that week. Anyway, uh, the next week they announced the final cut server was shipping. Uh, the, a couple weeks after that, they did their, uh, their, uh, financial results. And the week after that, they, uh, updated the iMac. So it trailed off in, in April, but January, February, March, pretty much every week we were, uh, we were scrambling on a Tuesday because there was an Apple product rollout. It was pretty insane because, uh, and, and we contrast that with what has happened this fall where they had one event and they announced basically everything. And we've just been watching it roll out, which is a little bit of a different strategy. But then what's quite funny is the um, June, July of that year was probably one of the most in, in history, most important announcements that Apple ever made, which was the iPhone 3G in the App Store and the SDK and all that sort of stuff all came in that year as well. It's a huge, huge year. Yeah, oh yeah, because yeah, you got the iPhone 3G mm -hmm. um, and they kept on rolling out the SDK and then we had the big launch of the of the uh, App Store and that all happened. And then they, and then they took a nap. <laughs> yeah, until the end of the year. So it's quite funny, right? We've been, we've been inundated over the last couple of months with, with product releases, but 2008 is an example that it all happened then, but just at the start of the year, <laughs> they just did everything. 
Yeah, and it's funny because in October of that year, they did the Unibody MacBook. That was the first Unibody MacBook was was in October. Um, and then the big news, the big news, Mike. <laughs> um, in November, they hired Mark Papermaster. Everybody's who, favorite Papermaster. Several months later, they fired. <laughs> and, uh, and then to top it all off in December of that year, that is when they cut, they, they cut all ties with Macworld and announced it was their last year and all of that. that was, uh, so it was an eventful year, but, uh, but a pretty crazy start to it. The heady days of 2008, right? Those were wild times. Wild times. Talking about wild times. You have gone ahead and launched a new subscription. Would you call it subscription? How how are you describing what you've done here with Six Colors? Yeah, so a couple weeks ago I launched it. This is the way for people. I've been hearing from the beginning uh, that people wanted to support me in doing Six Colors, and they're not going to be sponsors because they don't have products to sponsor or something like that, but they wanted to find some way to do it. And I, I listened to that and and then uh, got really uncomfortable about asking people for money for quite a while. And then uh, two weeks ago I launched what I'm calling Six Color Subscriptions. I actually had a whole... There's a whole thought process behind that, right? About whether you call it subscriptions or memberships or the club or or what or support or patronage or something like that. And I decided that uh, that subscription was what I wanted to say. Partially, maybe that's my background of working for a magazine for all that time. But the idea is, you are subscribing. It is an ongoing relationship. You are. The reality is, you are paying uh, annual or monthly. Uh, amount of money to get some stuff and it does have the net effect of supporting the site but I, I i wanted to not have it just be purely like you know give me money because you'll feel good about giving me money i wanted to have some other things around it so i just decided to, to on the wording of subscription and subscriber and rather than like a membership and member which i i, I thought about um i just i uh, for whatever reason, this is the this is the one I was more comfortable with. That's the world you come from, I think. I think that might be part of it. Like you know, subscription was the word that you used in your brain to tie this thing together, right? Magazines. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly right. I, I de- well, I decided to go with that theme too. So rather than having a like, I, I was going to do a a weekly or a or a monthly newsletter, and Federico came out with Max Stories Club Max Stories and uh and the Max Stories Weekly Newsletter, and I thought, okay, well, I, do I really want to go down that path of having something that sounds very much like what Federico did, even though, uh, you know, I was working on this before I ever heard that he was working on it. I just delayed it forever and he his delay was less than mine <laughs> but i didn't want to seem like i was producing the same thing as mm-hmm. federico because i just didn't want to do that i didn't want to be seen as a as a, as a copycat so um i i thought about the idea of calling rather than calling it a newsletter calling it a magazine the the you know for reference point of of where i come from and uh also that it is a thing that you get you know in your in your box every so often. And by not saying it's weekly or monthly, that gives me some latitude. You know, it's going to be monthly at least, but we could decide to do it more often. And uh, by calling it Six Colors Magazine, this news- newsletter that shows up in your box if you're a subscriber, then um, I have the, uh, the leeway to do that, to change the frequency of it as, as, we, uh, as we see fit. So that all kind of was in there. But, you know, rather than calling it, a, you know, a club that you could become a member of, I decided to go with the other approach, uh, again, because reasons, but still, um, yeah, that was, it, you're right, it does go back to sort of like, this is the world that I'm from. But I think more than that, it's also the world that I'm somewhat identified with, and I kind of wanted to play on that. So as well as the warm, fuzzy feeling 
that you get for supporting you and Dan, right? I assume this will also be helping support Dan Warren as well as Mr. Jason Snell. Well, I, I mean, I'm paying Dan to write for the site, and yeah. by having, if I have more of a budget, then then I can uh, I can pay more to Dan, and he can help with the magazine newsletter thing. And uh, yes, so yes is the answer. It's not direct because it's it, basically the way it works. is six colors is is me, and it's my company, and then I um, and then I pay Dan. Dan is a uh, uh, basically a contractor so so more work for more work for dan is more money for dan and that's i think that dan likes that and we like working together and we're 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 it so yeah so as well as that warm fuzzy feeling people the the perk if you would call it is the magazine then right that is that is the little additional thing that members will get as a thank you for being a member or a subscriber, sorry. I wanted it to be sure <laughs> whatever um I wanted it to, I I just I had this strong feeling that I didn't want I think the primary reason you su- you support a site or a podcast or whatever is because you want to feel good about supporting it. I think that is the number one reason you do it. I didn't want a pure patronage thing where it's like, look, please donate because you'll feel good. I wanted I want to give something back. I want there to be something that's part of it that's tangible, even if it's not something. Even if people don't ever read the magazine, the newsletter, whatever it ends up uh, looking like, e- even if they don't actually use that i was talking to to sean blanc about this because he's got a membership for his site and and he said um you know he does a a podcast and and uh for members which i'm not going to do because there are too many podcasts that i'm on already um but uh i don't i I, he, he expressed to me some skepticism about whether a lot of the members actually listen to the podcast but it's good that it's there and i agree completely with that idea that psychologically I think it's good to feel like you get something out of it that not only are you doing something good and supportive for something you like but you do get something in return even if it's not the you know if if no if you didn't know who I was and you didn't care about what I do and entirely you're viewing it as a transaction that is I give you money and you give me this newsletter um I don't think that's a good enough uh, balance, right? I, I think, and I had a couple people email me and say, uh, "Why would I give you sixty dollars a year for a newsletter?" And my answer is, if all you're doing is paying the money to get the newsletter, it's probably not a good deal for you. It, <laughs> you know, you need to you need to be kind of. This is about supporting me to write more things on the site that I give away for free. That you're not going to get as a special. You're going to get it like everybody else gets it. But you're going to be one of the people who makes that happen. And as a thank you, there will be yeah. some nice things that we do that nobody else can see that you will get to see. But the the primary purpose of supporting the site is to make us uh, give us the ability to write more stuff on the site for everybody to see and then the the bonuses are just a little bit extra because i feel like i didn't want it to be completely intangible that all you get is warm fuzzies i want it to be warm fuzzies and other stuff too and so that's what the that is if we do a if we do a like a membership subscriber only forum at some point that would be a similar thing um if we offer like discounts or deals or something it'll be a similar thing but those are not going to be um we're not going to gate stuff on the site nor is that the primary objective of yeah. the of the of the membership is it's not to to do that and i've i've also heard from people that who have asked i mean you get a lot of questions like this like uh why 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 can't you why why can't you charge me less i don't want to give you six dollars a month but 
I, I would give you $2 a month. And my, my answer is, I'm asking for $6 a month. That's a decision I made. And, you know, that's the threshold. And if you don't feel strongly enough about this to hit the threshold, that's fine. The site's still going to be there. But that's the number that I, I decided to set and $60 a year. Also, the site's called Six Colors. So there were going to be sixes in the prices. That's how it is. Personal brand, right? I, I guess. I don't have a specific affinity for the number six, and I'm colorblind, and yet here we are. <laughs> what are you going to do? You're stuck in it now, Jason. You had a good idea for a name, and now it controls everything. That's how these things go. The domain was available. Yep. Mm-hmm. The pricing is, you say, $6 a month, $60 a year. So basically, you get two months free if you sign up for a year. Um, how have you felt about the reaction so far? The response, has it been good? Have you been happy with it? Yeah, I think the response has been fantastic. I, I, it's been very supportive. Uh, it, it's not too surprising in the sense that one of the reasons that this actually happened is because I heard from so many people who said, I want to support what you're doing. Yeah, and right now, yeah. you, right now, there's no way to support what you're doing. And we're living in this world where Kickstarter exists and, and, and Patreon exists. And I had sponsors on the site, but no... Um, you know, no, no direct means of support for readers. Like, and, and, you know, to get back to the subscriber thing, a a lot of the people discovered me from a a place where there was a subscription relationship, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, you know, there was a way when you read Macworld, you felt like if you were reading the magazine, you, you know, you paid for it. And so there was that connection there and you had had ads in it too, but, but, you know, you were, you were a participant in that process. And I learned a lot when I was at IDG about the fact that, especially in harder times when things like sponsorship advertising revenue can drain away it really is helpful that you've got people who read your th- your stuff and are willing to give you money for it because that is another way you can um, you can weather a storm and a lot of the executives in, at, at IDG come from the sales side almost all of them are uh, originate as being ad sales people and it's interesting to see you know in in good times the business decisions are all made sort of uh, with the audience as a secondary thought, I'll, I'll put it nicely. Like it's all about the the customer or the advertisers, not the not the readers. The the readers are your product, basically. They're the audience, but your customers are the advertisers. And it's funny being through a couple of economic downturns, the the Great Recession and also the dot com bubble uh, burst. Uh, it's amazing how quickly those uh, attitudes change among the business people when the advertisers all kind of disappear. And suddenly, um, at IDG anyway, having that subscriber base became incredibly powerful. Uh, like, oh, I didn't realize that people were giving us money. It's yes, people that they are your they are your customer too. Um, and so I, I've never forgotten that. And and I like as I'm setting out on my own here. between the feedback that I got from from people and trying to have a diverse set of places where I I, I make money, um, that seemed like a good idea to me. The idea that if I can't sell sponsors on the site, that uh, the the site still has a way that it's supporting me. And quite honestly, you know, if I if I had three or four weeks where, which hasn't happened, but if I had three or four weeks where there were no sponsors on the site before, essentially I'm doing Six Colors completely for free at that point because there was no other means of support. And I know some of this is just psychological, but now I feel like even if I have no sponsors on the site, um, I, I the site is still operating because I have subscribers. It doesn't matter that I don't have sponsors some weeks, um, which I, I've been very fortunate. I have had very few open weeks, uh, shocking compared to what I expected, actually, when I started, uh, of sponsors not being on the site. But you get my point that, that if they were to vanish, 
um, I would still have a reason to do the site because the the readers are also supporting the site, and that that makes me feel good. So, um, people have been positive. It's unsurprising, given like it was one of my motivators for doing it, that people have been very supportive, very positive. Um, and like I said, I think I've received two emails from people saying, "I don't think." I'm going to pay you, which that's a pretty good ratio, to be honest, Jason. Yeah, it's it's somewhat surprising because the internet is full of people who want to tell you things that they don't need to tell you. <laughs> that they can just it's fine. It's like it's seriously, it's fine if you disagree with what I write. Uh, it, it's fine if you if you uh, if you don't think that what I do is valuable. That's actually it's fine. The site's also not going anywhere. It's free for you anyway. But sometimes people have this behavior on the internet. Where it's like, well, no, I'm going to tell you that I'm unfollowing you on Twitter. It's like why. Why do that? I'm going to tell you that I don't think it's worth it. So I had two people who wrote in and said, I don't think it's worth it. And I wrote back very politely and I said, I said, well, but what sort of what I just said to you, which is the site's still going to be there. These are the prices. If you feel like supporting me, you know, you're not just doing it for the newsletter. This isn't like Stratechery where Ben Thompson writes a, an amazing newsletter five days a week and only one of those gets posted online. It's not the same kind of balance. This is more about supporting the public site and also getting some bonuses. And if you don't feel comfortable with the way that it that it works, that's fine. The site's still there. Please read it. And thanks for reading it. Um, so I wrote back to both of those people with that. And one of them wrote me back and said they subscribed. So, and, and, and seriously, that's, that's, um, that, that's where I am. It's weird. This is a, a funny world that we live in with, with patronage, you know, with Patreons and Kickstarters and things like that. But um, I would say overall, it's been positive. And I'd say that I my initial count of members is uh, pretty much what I hoped it would be. Great. I think it's something. I think it's something to build on. I would like over time to continue to grow the number of members and not feel like if you told me that in six months my membership number would be what it is today, more or less, I would be disappointed. But I'm very happy with where it is right now as a as a, a starting point. So it's where you want it to be now. Obviously, not where you want it to be going forward. But that's kind of accepted because it should go up over time would you would hope i mean yeah. uh, I, you would hope that i would i would build uh i would build subscribers and not lose them <laughs> that's always a bad sign uh but in the end um from uh if you if you back up and look at the the bigger picture here i now have two ways that i make money from six colors that allows me to have six colors be more prioritized a more part of my job it allows me to say no to some of the freelance assignments that i've taken i didn't plan when i quit my job to be a freelancer i planned to do podcasting in six colors but i had freelance work offered to me and so i took it um but uh it takes up time that could go to six colors. So one of the things that this does in addition to diversifying my income is it allows me to turn away from some work that is not the work that I want to do, which is the, the, the work on six colors. So it's a, it's, it's good. It's a good, uh, it's been great. It's been a great experience. And, you know, I could, I could not stop doing everything else I do and just do six colors. And the addition of the membership revenue doesn't really change that. But when I was talking to John Gruber over the weekend at uh, on, the, on the talk show, you know, I, I said to him, I, I think it's a very similar story to the, the story that he has, which is I would like it if my job was do the podcast that I do and do six colors. I would like it if that was my entire job. And mm-hmm. I, I think that would be great. And right now it's not. It's I'm, I also scramble around and do some freelance stuff, too. But and, and some of that freelance work is great. I mean, I, it's fun writing at Macworld every week. I am writing there way more than I ever used to. And they pay me. And that's also nice. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I also pick up lots of other assignments that are like, yeah, you know, 
it's a it's an assignment. I don't, I'm not going to denigrate them on the air, right? But you know, some some of them are more um, are more mercenary than others, and I would really rather not do those and pour that effort into six color stuff. So people should go and sign up. Where can they sign up? Uh, you go to uh, sixcolors.com slash subscribe. Or if you just go to sixcolors.com, there's a big link at the top of the page that is become a subscriber. That would also get you there. And uh, it's, as we said, $6 a month or $60 a year. We're using Memberful, which is the same system that Federico uses for Mac Stories yep. and that Ben Thompson uses for Stratechery. Um, it uses Stripe for payments, so it's a credit card payment. Uh, you can't use PayPal. I wish there were a way for people to use PayPal, but that's just not how Memberful is set up. And uh, and yeah, if if you like uh, what I what I write at Six Colors and want to support me, uh, that would be the best way to do it. Listeners uh, who were hanging around on the live stream last week, Jason, they found out a very uh, exciting little Easter egg which has occurred. Who is subscriber number one? Who is subscriber number one? Is it you? It is me. Do you remember yeah. last week? Zero, zero, 001. That's my number. I'm the subscriber yeah. number one. That was a I lot of subscribers ago now, Mike. I mean, you're just one of the you're one of the one pack of many now. now. One of the horde. Yeah, I have to go way back in the view older orders scroll to get back to you. But but I appreciate that you were. Uh, well, I turned it on. Right, it was the test. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I finally turned it on and said, "Hey, it's turned on." And you went, "Okay." Bing. And got right in there, Mister <laughs> Mister M Hurley. There it is. There Order it is. Uh, member number one. Joe Steele, your member number four. There was one, whilst we're talking about this sort of stuff, one very quick thing I want to mention. We sell t-shirts at Relay FM, lovely Relay FM t-shirts. We're right. currently doing a 40% off sale for the holidays. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. You want to use the coupon code All the Great Shirts at the Relay FM store and you'll get 40% off. We have men and women's shirts in a bunch of different sizes. Um, we, I think we want to do a new design next year. So hmm. we're, gonna, we're doing a little bit of a sale. Uh, for 2015 to, to kind of get rid of some of that stock. So go in there. All the great shows, you get 40% off. And we should we should say there is a plan. There is a plan in early in the new year for an awesome upgrade item. Piece of apparel. Mm-hmm. Seriously, that's this all- is just the best. So next year. Mm-hmm. Let me just take our second break for this week and thank our good friends over at Smile. And today I want to talk to you about Text Expander. If you ever type the same sentences, phrases, or words on a regular basis over and over again, then you need Text Expander in your life. Text Expander will be able to save you time and effort by expanding your short abbreviations into frequently used text even pictures if you want to. TextExpander is an app that will improve your communication. So let's say, for example, you are somebody who you send a lot of emails and a lot of the emails that you send have very similar text in or, you know, you send some support email or maybe you send out, maybe you work in HR team and you send out an email which asks people for references or maybe you do what I do, right? Like I send a bunch of emails to sponsors and I send in information for like payment stuff and things like that. It is really, really easy with TextExpander to make all of this stuff consistent and quick. So you can type in like a regular response and you can have little drop-down fields so you can personalize them, which I do. And what it will do is it just gives you a way to, one, make your communication more consistent. So you're sending very similar, you're sending the exact same thing to different people with some slight tweaks if you want it. But it also allows you to save time because you're not sitting there and writing that stuff out all the time. Like, you know, like at the end of the week, I send some stuff out to our sponsors to confirm some stuff. And 
I use Text Expander to help me get through that that those pile of emails super quickly because otherwise I'd be sitting there for ages. And I love Text Expander for that sort of stuff. Text Expander has a new look and feel now with Text Expander 5, and it can help you type even faster before, than ever before because now Text Expander will make suggestions of frequently typed phrases to abbreviate and save time for you. I also use Text Expander for common errors that I make. So if I make a spelling mistake frequently or if I don't capitalize something correctly, like correctly, you know, like some brands we use like um, camel case and things like that in the, in their words. I throw those into Text Expander, so I just never get them wrong because Text Expander corrects them for me. You can also sync them amongst multiple devices using iCloud Drive and or Dropbox, and they're available in a bunch of different apps or via the iOS custom keyboard that comes with Text Expander for iOS, allowing you to use your snippets absolutely anywhere, whether an app supports Text Expander snippets or not. Text Expander 5 costs $44.95 US and upgrades are available for $19.95 for existing users. It's also free to those who purchased on or after January 1st, 2015. You can find out more about Text Expander 5 by visiting smilesoftware.com slash upgrade. Thank you so much to Smile and Text Expander 5 for sponsoring this week's episode. Please note that Text Expander 5 requires Yosemite and is ready for El Capitan. So, Mr. Jason Snell, today, just before the show, you published your iPad Pro review. I did. I did. You published something, too. Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of mentioned it in the pencil part. Did. But yeah, I did. Yeah. I also today did my Apple Pencil review on the Pen Addict, which is also in the show notes if people want to want to read that. Yes. Uh, I didn't write as many words as you did, though, you know? I, I, I have to say I'm disappointed. Your review was actually um, typed on and like in text in a web page when I really expected that it would just be a series of JPEGs of you writing it by hand. There is one section in the review which is also handwritten. So you can so the, the image is in there. It's, but yeah, my handwriting isn't good enough that, that people would be happy to just read it. It would have been very upsetting for everybody involved, I think. Yeah. Your handwriting is not... For for a pen addict, your handwriting is not as good as I would expect. Mm-hmm. But my, it's better than mine still, but still. <laughs> hey, I, I don't think your handwriting has to be great to, to enjoy pens. You know, you, you know um, OneNote was able to properly OCR my handwriting, even though my handwriting is terrible. But I found out that what it does is it just makes some really... It indexes... Um, the, it indexes every possibility for a given word. So you know what it, you actually wrote. It doesn't know what you actually wrote, but it, it could have been one of these four things. And if you search for any of them, it will find it because it doesn't actually know. But it's kind of magical to use um, use OneNote's automatic search thing where I, I wrote a whole page full of notes and then I searched for a word on it and it came up with it. It was pretty cool. Beautiful. So Okay, so yes, iPad Pro review. I wrote it. Let's get your overall feeling then. You spent a bit more time with it than than what we've spoken about on the show. Um, how are you feeling about the iPad Pro? Maybe also in compared to the Mac, because I really like the title of your piece. Is no no country for old Macs, which is <laughs> which is very very smart. I like that a lot. So explain a little bit to people about what your kind of thought process is here. Well, it's um, a lot of it kind of came out when I wrote that piece um, last week. I wrote a piece about. Uh, about who the who the iPad Pro is for. And that one was new tricks for old dogs, which I've been writing a lot of wacky headlines. Um but but the idea that 
the the days of us saying the iPad and iOS can't be used for real work are over. It is undoubtedly capable of using it for real work. And if you stop me and say, but, 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 but in my industry, I need this. Like, yes, yes, of course, there are going to be things in certain industries that, that just can't be done. But I think for a huge amount of work, it can be done. You can use this. The challenge is, do you want to? And that's sort of the conclusion of the piece is, you know, this is this is an unapologetic iPad. It is not. I did a whole section that I actually wrote in the intro planning to write and then wrote the whole thing and forgot to write and I had to insert it um, last last yesterday afternoon when I was finishing this uh, about the surface because everybody talks about the surface and oh, this is like the surface because it's got the keyboard and all of that. But I actually think that this is a, a a startling contrast with the surface because the surface is the ultimate compromise. Surface is all about what Microsoft is about, which is Windows and people who use Windows and people who use PCs. And so the surface is a PC that is also a tablet. It is not the best PC. It is not the best tablet. It is the best thing that's a tablet and a PC probably. And Apple has been very clear that this is not how they want to make products. They want to make a Mac that's the best Mac and an iPad that's the best iPad and not a toaster fridge, right? Not something that's in between. And Surface is in between. Um, So I think all of that is true. And I think it speaks to what those companies are about. Apple has no reason to do that. The Mac sales are great. The iPhone is huge. Um, and if you look in the, if you, if you take the big picture, look out five years or 10 years, do we really think we're going to have like combination devices that are both uh, a classic PC and something else? I don't think so. I think this is all about transitions, about how there are going to be people who are comfortable using a, a computer and there are people who, who are comfortable using touchscreen mobile devices. And uh, you want to provide tools for both of them. So uh, I, I think the, the question for me is, could the iPad, could Apple make an iPad that's also a, a Mac and, you know, it's it looks like a MacBook and then you pop the, the screen off and it's an iPad? Uh, it ac- absolutely could. It would definitely feel like a toaster fridge. Would I want one? Possibly. But would that be a better product or would that be some kind of a Frankenstein product that is is an, a, a hugely weird, awkward compromise uh, for a time of compromise? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what it would be because we are in times of compromise. We're in times of transition. It would be a transitional product. Um, but the the bottom line is that's not the iPad Pro. The iPad Pro, and this is where the, the, uh, the title comes from. Uh, there's a line in the piece that is the iPad Pro does not exist to give comfort to Mac users. That's not what it's for. Um, and, you know, I, having used the Mac for 26 years now am a Mac user and it is not comfortable using IRS, iOS for me, although it, I'm getting better at it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's one of the, the, the problems with evaluating the, the device is that it's a pretty great device for what it is. Um, I don't think the smart keyboard is a great buy for most people because I think you'd be better off just getting a Bluetooth keyboard unless you absolutely need to have a keyboard that you can carry around with you at all times on the device as a as a cover that is a very specific use case but beyond that i think it's actually too expensive and not as good as just buying a bluetooth keyboard and having like a regular cover Hmm. that you can use as a stand Um, but in general i mean i can't just say thumbs up thumbs down on the ipad pro because i think that's that's the bottom line is do you want to work on the ipad pro do you want to work on ios you can do you want to do you want to make the switch if you're somebody who's like a casual um 
a, a casual user, somebody who doesn't have a million different workflows and scripts and things like that. If you're somebody who does what I said to Gruber was, you know, it's office work, like capital O office work, Microsoft office work. You could do that on the iPad Pro and it's pretty great, actually. Um, so for a lot of people, you could, you know, you get the benefits of portability, of ultra portability here, even more than a laptop. And the end uh, of convertibility in that you can pop the keyboard off and you've got a, a tablet, uh, but you, you know, that's the trade-off is you're, you're not, you're out of your Mac metaphor and you're on your iOS metaphor. And that's just what it is. There's a couple of pieces in here that I wanted to pick out. Um, yep. Like a couple of quotes that I like and, and we could discuss them. So I'm going to be quoting you here. So the first one is, you get used to the size fast. After a week using the iPad Pro, I dropped my iPad Air 2 down onto my trusty old origami workstation and just started to laugh. It's like a tiny baby iPad on a tabletop or other workspace. The size of the iPad Pro screen really shines. This, to me, is just like what it was like when I switched to the 6 Plus. Yeah. So uh, you, you fine, get used fine. to Mark the... Fine, right, right? <laughs> you get used to the size, and then it's like this is normal i mean and yeah. i have a an ipad air 2 here as well with me sitting on the desk um and it's like a mini and adina uses a mini and i, I think that thing is hilarious when i see yeah. it now <laughs> i know i know right it's like why do you even exist mini you're so small <laughs> it it puts it in perspective um it's yeah it it, it is there's there's got to be some law that has is named after somebody that's the law of the large it's the law of large displays that the larger a display you get, the more it, unacceptable. Like I used an 11 inch MacBook Air as my main computer for so long, and I've used the 27 inch iMac for a year. And now, and people are always ask, "Don't doesn't the 11 inch Air feel cramped?" I'm like, no, it's fine, it's great. Now it feels cramped <laughs> yeah. because I'm used to the bigger screen, and the iPad is kind of like that. I mean, it. it I really expected that when I dropped the iPad Air down on the origami workstation that I'd be like, oh, yeah, see, this is fine with the software keyboard slid away. This is totally fine. And it's fine, but it's. I also laughed and went, oh, look at you, you little baby iPad, because it's, it is uh, dramatically smaller <laughs> than, than the Pro. It is a huge difference. And... I I mean I love the, the the size of the iPad Pro um and and I know that you know you talk about in the the review the places where you use it and kind of saying that in bed for you and and that kind of stuff it doesn't work but no. for me it it does I I'm very happy with it it's obviously not the easiest I mean if you're going to talk about what's the best iPad to use from a comfortable perspective when you're laying in bed it's always the mini because the mini you can just throw that thing around there's nothing to it yeah but you know, a lot of a lot of devices like you have to accept some kinds of trade offs. And for me, it's like, yeah, the iPad Pro maybe isn't as comfortable when I'm sitting in bed, but I love it everywhere. Like it's fantastic for me. It just really, really works. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe it's a little bit less comfortable to hold. Maybe I have to somehow change the way that I'm sitting or laying when I'm looking at this device, but. It really works for me, and I really love it for that. It's like carrying a clipboard, uh, and you got to be kind of accepting that it's like carrying a clipboard. And when I wake up in the morning and I'm checking Twitter while I'm kind of basically laying down, it's a, it's not the best. It's not the best ergonomics for me. Sitting up, I don't have a problem with it. Um, standing up uh, or at a desk or something, it works great. But in that more reclined kind of position, it, it doesn't, you know, it's not my favorite. 
I, to- I mean, I get that. I, I, I totally get why you would feel that way about it. And I understand why many people would, but it, it works well enough for me that I'm happy with it. Uh, one thing that I'm not happy about, which you, you know, I'll have a quote from your review, fuzzy graphics um, and a keyboard that's hard to type on. This is one of the worst parts about the upscaled app problem that we have on the Pro. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot of apps that haven't been updated for it yet. And I'm a little surprised, but this, I mean, this happened with, I I launched an app on my iPhone the other day that is still upscaled Mm -hmm. on the iPhone 5, and that's not good. Uh, And we still have some, and it is frustrating. And uh, those all need to get updated because that that is one of the problems that we have with the... uh, with uh, you get the you get the weird software keyboard that's the upscaled software keyboard. So now you've got two different software keyboards depending on the context, which is something that iPhone users know from the transition to the six and the six plus, where you would get some apps would open. You're like, why is this keyboard different? And the answer is because it's an upscaled iPhone five keyboard. And now that is happening on the Pro. There are upscaled apps from the iPad that uh, it's and it's no good and the, and everything's a little bit fuzzy. And uh, there are a lot of apps that are like that. And uh, it's just it's. I, it'll get better over time, but right now it is a problem. I also like this part um, where you're comparing the iPads. Uh, what's more, the iPad Pro doesn't need to be for a broad category of users. It's not the iPad, just one of three different models, each with different characteristics. For most people, the iPad Air 2 is probably the best choice, but that's not a knock on the iPad Pro. It costs more and gives you more, and if you want more, it's the one for you. Yeah, this is maybe this is my pet theory, but I feel like the the burden is off of a lot of Apple products once they're part of a family. And I really felt this when the like the iPad Mini didn't have to be the iPad. It was the iPad Mini. It was like another iPad. And the iPhone 6 Plus doesn't need to be the iPhone. It needs to be an option for iPhone buyers because there's also the iPhone 6 and the older models that are also out there. And if they added a smaller iPhone, uh, you know, an updated version of the smaller size, it would be the same deal. It would be an iPhone that you can get. And I I think that uh, it used to be the iPhone and the iPad. And there's a whole lot more burden, I think, on that product because it needs to serve everybody that Apple's trying to reach in that market. And the iPad Pro doesn't need to do that. The iPad Pro is unabashedly a big iPad. And if you don't want it, that's it's not like there isn't another iPad for you to buy. And uh, I think that's a good place for Apple to be. And I think it's a good place for a product to be. That's one of the things I loved about the first iPad mini is that, you know, it, it, uh, it was, it, it was allowed to be itself and not, it didn't have to feel the burden and be compromised in a lot of ways so that everybody would want it because it wasn't made for everybody. And then this was your uh, kind of conclusion. You mentioned this a little bit, but I want to read this part and then talk another part about this Frankenstein product. Uh, and that's why I can't help ask, but ask myself: If Apple made a Retina MacBook whose screen popped off and became an iPad, would I buy it? It seems like such a Frankenstein product, so inelegant a concept, and so clearly not the way the world is going. And yet, I would be tempted, not because it's a bold direction forward, but because it's a compromise that grants me some comfort in a time of change. The iPad Pro does not exist to give comfort to Mac users. This, combined with that piece that you mentioned uh, on, that you wrote last week. I get a feeling of nervousness from you that kind of the computing landscape is changing underneath you and there's kind of nothing you can do about it whether you like it or not. I don't, I wouldn't say it that way. Um, it is interesting that because Gruber, Gruber's review ends with a similar statement of like, it's not for me, but I, I, I'm open to the, the possibility that I'm a, I'm a dinosaur, right? Which is something I say in the new, in the new tricks for old dogs, right? Stephen also wrote a thing on 512 
effectively the same kind of idea yeah. uh, where y- you all sound really scared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and I'm not. It's that's not it. I think it's. I think it's being. Um, I think you need to be able to identify in yourself your own biases and uh, and lay them out there and be able to think beyond them. And I suspect, and I think that that Stephen and uh, and John writing similar things also suspect this. I suspect that a lot of the people whose reaction to something like the iPad Pro is it's stupid. It's not a computer. You can't use it to get real work done. Why are they bothering? It's a waste of time. I suspect that those are people who just don't want to accept that for some people, the touchscreen computing metaphor is what computers are going to be. And uh, that they may have, they may, the thing that they think of as how you interact with computers is now very clearly part of an era and eras have ends and they aren't finite like they aren't they're, they're sharp ends they're they're trail off ends but it happens just like it happened with going from command lines to guis it happens and so I, I i think step one is acknowledging that it's true right acknowledging that this is a thing that's happening and and, and i have no i have no fear about it this is about acknowledging the reality of it. So step step one is saying you can work on iOS. Um, and that the reasons that you won't work on iOS are more to do with you and your preferences. And again, that's not judgmental. More to do with how you want to work than it is about the device. And I think that's important, especially if you're somebody who writes about technology. <laughs> I think you need to be able to say that and, and under, understand that. Now, step two is also being flexible enough to try and change and see what it's like. And it may not all work for you, but uh, being able to make those judgments and see what it's like gives you the flexibility to communicate that to other people. So that I think that's the next step. But part of but to get there, I have to make the acknowledgement within myself that I have a bias here, which is that I've been using computers like the Mac. I've been using the Mac for 26 years. And of course, it's going to be hard to switch to something like iOS for productivity stuff that I, I think of as computery stuff. So step one is to say it is. And then you can decide whether you want to make that effort or not. I I I don't want to make that effort to permanently switch because uh, I don't see the need uh, to do that as anything other than a stunt, but to to be able to mode switch, to be able to not have to carry around a MacBook Air when I want to do work elsewhere, but just carry around an iPad, that I see benefits in. So, and I feel like the platform is robust enough that you can do it, even with even if I don't have the iPad Pro, even if I have the Air 2 and an external keyboard. But um but yeah, I I think I think it's fair, um, and I mentioned this earlier when I when I picked up my review unit at Apple and got my briefing. You know, one of the things that they said in the briefing, and it's all kind of backgroundy, so I'm not going to quote them directly, but I got this vibe from them about the uh, about the the keyboard, the smart keyboard, that it was co- almost a legacy product, and that was a moment where I thought, oh, huh, interesting. Like, is is a hardware keyboard a legacy technology? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy to me. And yet, I think it's worth thinking about that and, and considering is a hardware keyboard and is a mouse cur- uh, cursor tracking across a screen 
an old metaphor that is being supplanted? And if it is, what's new and how does the new stuff work? Because the work, the you know, people are still going to need to get their jobs done. It's just, you know, the tools that are uh, the tools of choice for some people have changed. I don't know. It's, it, but, but that's where it comes for me is not, I'm not, I'm not, there's no fear or concern um and i change doesn't particularly bother me um i i just i think you need to call it what it is and not pretend that it's not uh, uh an aspect of anything that somebody who's been writing about computers for a long time uh you know it, it's part of their frame of reference and the ipad pro doesn't care right that's the, the that's the last line there the ipad pro doesn't care it is not like the surface the surface is meant to make pc users feel better about having a tablet the ipad pro doesn't care yeah so screw you buddy this is my time yeah like i look at all of this and, and i feel like it's it's safe to say now that the personal computer's time has peaked and it's changing well look at look at the i mean <laughs> take the take the tablet out of the equation for a minute and look at smartphone numbers and computer numbers, PC numbers. It it already peaked. It's it's been it, it's been off the peak for a while now. The PC market shrinks and the smartphone market is insanely growing. So, you know, and we can the tablet is a tweener and it's interesting, but it's already happened. People people interact with the the, the internet and use technology to do what we consider computer things with smartphones. And other devices mm-hmm. too, but with smartphones, that is the computer now. And presumably, all future or many future computing device innovations are going to be keying off the smartphone because it's the metaphor now. In a way that Windows, you know, that the Mac led to Windows ninety five, and the suddenly that GUI Mac style GUI was everywhere, and that was the metaphor. The smartphone is the metaphor now, and the iPad is a computer that uses the smartphone metaphor, basically. Man, it's it. I am very excited about this product. I wished I could take all of my work to it. Right, I can't, and I, well, I can, I can. Uh, do the podcast stuff on it if I want to jump through a lot of hoops, but I'm not ready to do that yet. But I see yeah. the future of it, and, and I know how happy I am using this device for the majority of things. Like today, I've been working all day today. I sat down at my iMac just as we were about to start recording this show, but I've been yeah. working all day, and I've been working on my iPad Pro. Well, like I said, I, I think people get obsessed about this idea of switching, like Federico, because Federico is the switcher, right? He has switched. But I think that, I, you know, I think that there, there's context switching. I think the idea that you might have a computer that you use, like I stopped when I when I set up this office, I stopped working on my Mac laptop in the house. I very rarely bring my laptop, my MacBook Air, into the house. It basically sits behind me, and I bring it when I go out somewhere where I need to use the computer or I travel. It gets very little use now, and that's in contrast to even when I. Uh, when I worked at IDG and I would I would bring the laptop home and I would have it and I would do my computery things. Now that I've got the desktop, I've got like if I'm if I want to do work in the Mac framework, I do it here at my desk in the office. In the house, it's the iPad or iPhone, but usually the iPad. And so so that's what I start to think about is maybe the iPad is now my thing that I do everything I'm gonna do productively that is out of the desk 
where I'm sitting right now. And if I go to my mom's house in in uh, Phoenix to visit her for a few days, I don't bring a computer, a, you know, a Mac. I don't bring a MacBook Air. I bring my iPad because I'm out of the house. And that and and to get that's the hump that I'm getting over is not can I switch entirely to the iPad. It's just can I use it when I'm away from my Mac? And that's you know that that's a lower bar. Should we take a break? Do some ask upgrade? Yeah, let's do it. This week's episode is also brought to you by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. I love Hover whenever I need something on the web, which is a lot of stuff, really. You know, lots of things need websites these days. You need a domain name. It's one of the most important things. If you're coming up with a name for a new project or you have a name in mind, in today's world, you need to make sure that that domain is available. It's like that's the way people are going to find you. They're going to open their web browser. They're going to type the name of your company in. This is what Hover will help you secure. You can go to Hover.com. You can have a little search. You can search keywords. You can search for full domains. And they'll show you what's available. And they have all of the TLDs you'd expect. And these are like, you know, your .coms, .co.net, .co.uk. They have all the new ones as well, .limo, .diamond, etc., etc., and they have great options on all of them. For example, their .com domain start at twelve ninety nine. If it's available, it's very simple. Just a few clicks, you'll own that domain name. Uh, Hover can also help uh, do an auctioning process, so they can, if somebody owns the domain, Hover can help you acquire it if it's for sale. Um, and but also if it's just completely taken, they won't be able to make suggestions for you. They can show you what they have, and they can give you they give some tweaks on the wording for you, and maybe help spark another idea for you to get that domain that you want. Once you actually go through and purchase domains, which is super easy, it's just a few clicks. They give Whois privacy for free with all the domains that support it, so it keeps your personal information private, which is exactly what you would want. You have fantastic customer support at all times. They have great guides on their website. They have fantastic email support, and they have incredible no hold, no wait, no transfer telephone support as well. Hover have a valet service where they'll switch all of your domains from their your previous provider to Hover for you completely for free, no matter how many domains you have. They have Hover Connect, which is one of my favorite new things at Hover, where they'll make it super easy to get your new domain that you just purchased really easily, of course, connected with the website or service that you want to connect it to. So let's say, for example, you want to set it up with your Shopify account or your Squarespace page or your Tumblr page. You just go into your domain admin panel at Hover. You just select which service they use and they will amend automatically all of the DNS records for you. You don't need to be copying and pasting crazy stuff to get it all set up. Hover have thought of everything. They make it all super simple and they back it up with that excellent support. So go to hover.com and try them out. They should be the place that you're buying your domain names from. You want to use the code MAGIC at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase over at hover.com and show your support for this show and all of Relay FM. That's uh, the promo code MAGIC and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to hover.com for their support of this show. So should we do some Ask Upgrade? Let's do it. We didn't do any last week, so I'm sure we that didn't. the people have been clamoring for yes. the the only sound that could indicate the ask upgrade is occurring, Jason. Well, it, it would be a, a sound of lasers, although we got somebody to complain that we should use the sound of real lasers, to which I would say I think actual laser sound effects would be more annoying to more people than us simply saying, ask upgrade. <laughs> the only way to do it. I yeah. would like to know, and this is an iPad Pro related question. Uh, I travel a lot for business and I'm thinking about getting an iPad Pro to replace my laptop. It will be thrown in a bag and into luggage bins, etc. during my travel. Do I have to worry about the ruggedness of the iPad Pro? So for me, 
I think one of the key things that you have to remember is that this device is basically just a screen, yeah. right? Like a laptop kind of protects itself by closing. So like all of the stuff that could easily get broken is contained within itself, right? The keyboard and the screen. So I think you got to get a good case, a nice rugged case, and you'll be fine. I have a smart cover on mine. You can pay an incredible amount of money to get the smart case, which goes in the back as well. Um, I don't know just how good at protecting things they are, but I've always had smart covers on my iPads, and they've always been fine. But of course, yeah. this thing is bigger. It's probably easier to break because of its size. Um, but I, I, you know, you know, it's it's pretty yeah. tough. It's pretty rigid in a way that laptop screens aren't, because laptop screens, yeah, when you close them, they're also sort of protected by the rigidity of the base of the laptop and um here the whole it's it's an ipad it feels like an ipad it's got that aluminum back it's pretty strong but you want to cover the screen so that the screen is protected and and yeah i've just used a a smart cover on all of my ipads but if you're if you really are going to be hard on it then i would say try to get another something more rugged um something something you know but that's fine i think it'll be fine as long as it's in a nice case the question is what what kind of cases are out there right now for the ipad pro and i don't think uh, there are many you you may have to you may have to wait a little bit but i think it'll be fine as long as you get a get a case for it yep i completely agree um mickey would like to know should i choose apple's keyboard cover or the logitech create if you actually had any time with logitech create none None. Okay. haven't even seen it haven't touched it so basically i've spoken to a few different people about this and everyone seems to say the same thing if you want a good cover that's a keyboard go for the smart keyboard if you want a good keyboard that you can put on your ipad go for the logitech create yeah but the logitech create i mean it's sort of you snap your ipad into it so you're basically turning your ipad into a laptop by snapping it in so um and i mentioned this in my review i think unless you're somebody who really needs that combination of I've always got my keyboard with me um, and it's re- ready to go at a moment's notice. If you can if if the you can slip a bluetooth keyboard in a bag somewhere and bring it out when you need it and not have to, you know, walk around. I mean, that's like that's what the the smart keyboard and I think the Logitech Create keyboards are good for is like you're sort of treating it like a laptop. You always want to have your keyboard with you. But I don't generally use my iPad that way. And so you can save a lot of money and get a better keyboard by buying a bluetooth keyboard and pairing it and yeah you have to charge it or change the batteries but pairing it with your ipad and getting and then getting a a, something like a smart cover that you can use as a stand um i think in a lot of contexts that is a perfectly reasonable way to use even the ipad pro and uh it should be part of the conversation you should think think about whether you really need one of these two accessories just because they're made for the ipad pro that's not enough of a reason you need to you know will i use them in a way that makes it necessary that i use them Luca would like to know how we use Slack at Relay FM and why do we prefer it to iMessage or other messaging platforms. So the reason that I love Slack over anything else is in this one application, I have all types of communication with people. So we have instant message, so like one-on-one conversations, like me and Jason may have it. We're just chatting about stuff, or maybe we're setting up stuff for a show. We can have instant messages like that. We have group chats, so like for Connected, we have a Connected like a private connected group. It's me, Federico, and Steven. We talk as a three. Um, we talk about things as a three as friends and also talk about 
things as you know for the show for business then we have like official business communication channels which have like everybody in them and we want to say as a business we are doing this we want you to know about this you should look at this right we have official business communication we can do there we have massive group chats like we have the general room that all slacks have that like ours has like 30 people in it and people just talking about whatever they could be talking about tech they could be talking about video games they video could be talking games, about yeah. pens and pencils no matter mm-hmm. whoever may like that or may not it's all going in there and there's nothing anybody can do about it sorry um, casey sorry casey uh it's just the way it is and sorry jason because we haven't been yeah. today you didn't uh, like that but that's uh, it right it's just a big chat room that everyone's in um so it's basically it's we have all of these different types of communication all in one place it's all searchable it's all archived so in case we need it for later it stops people from having conversations in email and then they get lost and then you continue in IM like it's just a way of keeping all of our communication in one place with and everybody just goes to that place when they want to talk to somebody in our company and yeah. it's very very cool for that i love it I mean, the small group conversations could could be done in something like iMessage. That would be fine. Um, but the nice thing about uh, about Slack is that you've got the general group too. So you've got a whole bunch of people who are able to have conversations, and then you can set up interest channels and you can set up private groups of different sizes, and uh, and it's all in one place. So I think that's the advantage there. Uh, also, cross platform. I mean, our our, uh, our friends, the hosts of the Material Podcast on. Uh, on relay cannot read those iMessages on their mm-hmm. phones, right? I'm not sure they can get email on their Android phones either, right? That's a thing yeah. Can I they? Heard. It's only the Gmail. They don't get email. I oh, interesting. Know. It's a different letter, I think. Yeah, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> email, Jason. It's it's uh, Lex Friedman posted a thing the other day about how many different ways people can get in touch with him, and I replied to him. I sent him a Slack message on the incomparable Slack. I sent him uh, an iMessage. I sent him an uh, AOL Instant Messenger IM. I sent him a Google Talk message, and I sent him a Facebook message, all saying the same thing as a reply. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's true it could be everywhere but that's the nice thing about slack is that you set these groups up for people who are working together on project or other and it forms like a little mini community and then you've also got your private messaging that's kind of built in and if it was just private messaging or just the group chat room i think it would be less effective but once you know everybody knows to sort of like keep an eye on slack then it becomes easier to get their direct attention in slack via a direct message in a way like i don't have the iMessage addresses of uh, a lot of the people that I work with, uh, but I don't need it because I can just see their name in Slack and send them a message or a couple names, and uh, that it, that's been very effective actually. So, um, so I use iMessage a lot less now. Joshua would like to know what do you think of using SoundCloud for podcast hosting? I'm using Squarespace right now. What better stats? Now I would say uh, I have never used SoundCloud. I know that Jason has, so I'll get his. I have. Yeah. Uh, uh, input on the actual service itself um, I would say if you have a podcast you should be using some sort of service that has statistics Squarespace is great for like creating websites around podcasts and you can host your stuff there and it's fine but you don't actually get any statistics for the uploads of the files and the downloads of the files right you don't get any of that so I always say you should use a third party in that scenario um, I use Libsyn we use Libsyn at Relay FM. Um, they've been around forever and their statistics are well trusted there are loads of other great services um, there's one that I really like as well called Simplecast which also creates really good looking websites as well for you um, so you can check those guys out but there is of course SoundCloud which I know that you've, you've used Jason 
Yeah, SoundCloud, uh, you know, it, it, they've been they've added podcast functionality, but their goal is to sort of be the YouTube of audio. So that they try to drive people to the website. So you can post sounds on a SoundCloud ac- account that's got the premium version that has podcasting built in, and it'll generate an, a, a feed. I don't like SoundCloud because their attitude, they are very reluctant to share the MP3 file with you. There, there are ways to get it, but like the default is they want you to, if you're seeing a, a podcast on the web, they want you to use their player to play it. They don't want to provide you with like a download URL, which makes it really frustrating if you want to use something like HuffDuffer or you just want to download the file for later. Or most importantly, sometimes there's a download button, so that's okay. But mostly like the download button generates a download URL that doesn't seem to be the permanent download URL. So if you want to link to an MP3 on SoundCloud, they don't want to let you do it. If you want to put it in a different RSS feed, they don't want to let you do it. it it's kind of like they want to be a podcast citizen, but they also want the control and I don't love it. And so if you like SoundCloud and it works for you, it's super easy. We used to use it for some stuff for Macworld and for the incomparable. But at this point I'm using Libsyn and it's pretty cheap for the, for the basic plan. And uh, I think, I think that's the, and it's got stats. So I think for most people, that's what I recommend at this point is, uh, is Libsyn because you can start off with a very, a very cheap plan and uh, you do have to pay, but uh, it's probably not a lot of money, you know, whatever it is, five bucks, eight bucks a month or something like that. I recommend the $20 a month plan. Um, I know that obviously you're getting into an amount of money there, but the $20 a month plan uh, gives you advanced statistics, which let you know, it doesn't let you know a lot of stuff, but like you can get geographical breakdown, technology breakdown, so you can see what apps people are listening in and stuff like that. Um, I like it for that. You can definitely yeah. go with a cheaper plan than that. You, you can start You can start with five bucks, and the way, the way it works is it's about how your, your upload is. So if you've got a short podcast or you only have a couple podcasts a month, the $5 pan, plan is... It's 50 megs in podcast files. And for $15 a month, it's 250 megs, which is perfect for like a weekly podcast. Definitely. Right, so that's Ask Upgrade this week. So this is uh, usually where the episode will end. However, we have, of course, a Mike at the Movies week. So we have a, a special segment and we're about to start talking about The Sure Thing, which is our Mike at the Movies pick for this week. Yeah. But Mike at the Movies this time is brought to you by our friends over at Igloo who give you the intranet you'll actually like. Now, we're about to start talking about like an 80s movie um, and some intranets look like that they were made in the 80s, right? They were made in the 90s. They were made in a time where the internet was a very, very different functioning and looking thing. And I remember the intranet that I used to use in my old corporate job was very much like this. Um, It felt very much at home in Internet Explorer, right? I mean, that maybe tells you all you need to know. That was where it did its best. Uh, but this isn't what Igloo makes. Igloo make a great product which feels like it was made in the Internet world of 2015. It is full of responsive design and beautiful little touches throughout. Like, for example, they have status update stuff. So like a little microblog or a little mini Twitter all inside of your own Igloo so you can keep everybody up to date with what you're working on. You can chat. They have commenting on all of their stuff. You can upload images and... You can like stuff. Like, it's all very internet of now, right? It feels like the way it should. And you're able to access your igloo from any device, no matter where you are, as long as you have a connection to the internet. It's going to look and feel exactly as you want because you can customize it. You can set up all of the branding and the coloring to feel just right. You can set up different functionality for different groups and teams. They also have their own document previewing engine as well, so you can collaborate on stuff together. You can also see who has read certain documents as well. 
So you'll be able to make sure that everybody is on the same page. They have fantastic security stuff, 256-bit encryption, single sign-on, Active Directory integrations, and so much more. They integrate with services like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox. It is exactly as you would want from a product like this. It's time to break away from the internet you hate, the internet that drives you crazy every day. You want to go and sign up for Igloo right now, and you can try it out for free for any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want, so you can get a real good sense as if this is the right fit for your team. Go and find out more and sign up today at igloosoftware.com upgrade. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting this show and Relay FM. So, Jason, the sure thing is sure our thing. is our pick today. It is. My first uh comment about the sure thing <laughs> is that it is impossible to find. It <laughs> is not available for streaming or purchasing online. Wow. So, I went into a bit of a panic mode over the weekend as I could not find this movie. I have a theory um I'll also, speaking of Slack, our friend Casey had a file in the Slack of this movie. Shh. Did he? Uh, I wouldn't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, you could. It's available digitally in the secret Slack channel about this movie. Um, yeah, it, it. I have a theory about it, which is that um, the music in it has made it difficult uh, to. So it's it's available uh. like the DVD is a Shout Factory DVD, and a lot of the Shout Factory stuff. It's higher priced than it's like it lists at twenty five dollars. It's higher priced, and they do that because they're um, the main uh, company doesn't want to release it because it's going to be too much to get the music rights. And then Shout Factory basically says, "Okay, we will clear all the music rights and release it at a higher price and a lower volume for the people who really want to see it." Because the soundtrack to the Sure Thing is staggering. In fact, I think it I think it seems much more impressive now as an a, a representative of the 80s than it did at the time at it, it it feels like songs selected for a movie we'd make today set in the 80s like well we got to have a song by these people and that song is very 80s and all of that but it's just the songs they picked for this movie um by the way the musical supervisor i looked up while i was watching it for this movie is also the musical supervisor for real genius <laughs> So it's the same person picking the songs for both, which also made me laugh. Uh, but it's a very, but it's a very '80s soundtrack, and my my guess is that the the uh, music rights are probably very expensive, and that may be why it's not available uh, streaming. That is a good theory. I like that theory. The mu- there is a lot of music throughout this. Um, like a when, lot. When the movie opens, it opens very 80s. It has a, 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 a very 80s song and has like this beautiful like 80s font, right? It's all like fluorescent, yes. Oh, yes. like streaking across the screen, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you would know this if you could find the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, did, did you end up seeing the movie, Mike? Yes, luckily I did. It, it, it stumbled upon me somehow. Somehow, uh, I just want to mention about the music: Rod Stewart, Huey Lewis in the News, Sammy Hagar, Quiet Riot, John Waite, Jay Giles Band, The Eagles, uh, or sorry, Eagles, The Cars, Wang Chung, Lionel Richie, and Peter Wolf. So it is a, and it's Lights Out by Peter Wolf. So it is a, it is a super uber eighties kind of soundtrack. But I could also see why that might be very expensive. If they didn't have all the, if they had to relicense all that music for for uh, streaming and home video. So the only thing that I knew about this movie, or believe that I knew about this movie, is that you referred to it last week as a sex comedy. So my question before going into this was: Is this real genius, or is this American Pie? I will yeah, find I, out. I, I yeah, and and I think the reality is it is like um, 
like some of the other movies that we watched, including Say Anything, it is a it is a movie that wants you to think that it's a horny teen sex comedy sort of movie when it's not. Yes, that I'll we'll get to this a little bit later on. Let's put a pin in that for now. But th- this one tries harder than Say Anything does, right? Say Anything doesn't really, they have the one party scene, but Say Anything really doesn't get too far down the road, where Sure Thing spends a good 25 minutes really wanting you to think that this is all about a couple of guys who want to get laid. Yeah, and the before title, you realize, right? So yeah. The Sure Thing is the sure thing of the person, the the girl who is a sure thing, like that we're going to get um, our main character, John Cusack, who plays a character called Gibb, Walter Gibson, is going to go to his friend's college in California because there yes. is this girl there who is a sure thing for him. Like she, His friend Anthony Edwards from ER and Top Gun, very young as his friend, the dude in going to college in California. And Nicolette Sheridan, who went on to be on like Knots Landing, and she did a b- whole bunch of other things. And her her role is credited in the credits as the sure thing. The sure that thing. is that is who she is. She never has a name. She's blonde and beautiful, and sits out on the beach and appears in the various fantasy sequences mm-hmm. of John Cusack's Gib. But before we even finish the credits, there was something that I noticed that really made <laughs> me smile. Executive producer Henry Winkler. Yes. Where did that come from? <laughs> so it, it's a um, it's a funny thing about what, what Henry Winkler did sort of post-Fonz, which was get into uh, producing. And he produced a bunch of uh, a bunch of movies that would surprise you uh, and TV series. I believe he was he was one of the producers on MacGyver, the TV series as well. But he did um, he did uh, this film and uh there was another there was another big big movie that he's listed as a producer on um god what is it anyway yeah he had a whole uh or did he direct he also directed he directed um he directed some movies and he produced some movies it was very much his uh okay i've been a sitcom star on happy days and now i want to do some other things and so he produced and directed a bunch of stuff so he is listed as one of the uh one of the the executive producers on the sure thing i have no idea and oh, he produ- he's, yeah, young I'm looking Holmes at his IMDb and- page right now. There's a ton of stuff. Like I was thinking, oh, I'll just go and find out what that thing was. I will be here all day. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's crazy the stuff that he's uh, that he's produced. So I think that's I think that's part of the uh, part of the story is that he he did a whole bunch of sort of post fonds things. But yeah, he's listed as an executive producer on uh, Sure Thing. So. I like that it kind of uh, it starts off with um, Gib. We should say we should say this is directed by Rob Reiner, who we've yep. already seen. This is Spinal Tap and uh, and the Princess Bride from, and then stars John Cusack, who we've already seen with Say Anything. So it starts off. Cusack is is giving his chat up line to a girl, and it's about space. And I wondered yep. if this was potential for why you love this movie. Is that no. he uses space as a pickup line? He's so bad at it. He's, yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Consider very the universe. Well. He says with his high voice. He's nineteen yeah, in this movie. Very he's, young he's in this movie. Four years younger than this. Is four years before say anything, and his voice hasn't dropped basically yet. <laughs> and I like that the movie. The movie's set up really well. Like it begins at. 
the ending for these two friends. They've just graduated high school and they're about to go off to college. Like that's, mm-hmm. I really like that as a, as the way that the movie begins because it just puts a pin in where these people are in their lives. They do they don't do it in a ham fisted way. They don't do it with a lot of exposition. It's just a couple of minutes and then they move on to the rest of the movie. And I think it sets it up really nicely. Did you notice uh, something we talked about when we talked about Say Anything was that that's a movie entirely set in a period where, which we rarely see in a film, which is the summer after high school and before college. Mm-hmm. And I laughed when it, this movie starts in the same place, which is graduation night, and scene two skips all the way to college. And I thought, wow, Say Anything just happened in between those two scenes because this movie's got to, it's time to move on. The point is shorthand. They're in high school. It's all the expectations of going off to college. There's there's that funny line where uh, Anthony Edwards is trying to give him a pep talk about how he's going to be more more uh, more lucky with the ladies in college. He said, forget about these high school girls. Pretty soon they'll all be college girls. And he says, but it's the same girls. They just go to college. And he says, no, 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 they'll, they'll be college girls then this dream that is nonsensical yep. about it yep. it's just so it's so naive and and funny and dumb and uh and then we cut to he's at an unspecified northeastern university so he's himself. he's taking english and, and i really love his lecturer um oh yeah she is such a fantastic character she's so full of life and fun um and i love that like you know she's she wants them to express themselves more in their writing and she says stuff like sleep when you want to not when you think you must make love in a hammock like it's like yeah. she's just saying all this stuff like just prancing around the she's room swedish so she's got this accent so you're like she's this vaguely european uh, uh dynamic spirit. yeah mm-hmm. and I, I really like that um i, I really like that a lot uh, i also love the swimming pool monologue right so as uh, so at this point Gibb has set his sights on um, Amanda, that is who he is really interested in, and he's trying to get her to, to go on a date with him. And she is going for a swim in a pool, and she's doing lengths, and he's just walking up and down the pool in increasing desperation. Uh, of why, like com- absolute melodrama of why she should give him a shot and how it would like completely end his life. And then he jumps into the pool and it's like, would you save a drowning man? Like it's all, I really like that past bit. Him. It's Allison, by the way. Allison, Allison. sorry. You got bad, bad handwriting there, but we knew that. I was you. trying to do it from memory. He didn't do a very good job. It's, yeah. So yeah, he, 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 he follows her. He, it's, it's, it's sweet. He's, uh, he, it's also, he is, he fancies himself, I think as a lot of, it, it, is this in reality or not? But it's certainly in movies that that a lot of teenage, uh, you know, young young men fancy themselves uh, powerful uh, pickup artist type people, where they're like, "Oh, I can get the ladies to go out with me. I've got a line." You know, he's working on his lines and stuff like that. You got to get some new material. And then with her, he has this whole scheme, which is that he's going to uh get her to help him with his uh his his studying his paper because he's got to rewrite this paper that he wrote about about burning about not burning the roof of your mouth when you eat pizza that is what his paper is about by the way and um and, and the moment so so she finally agrees and the moment that they sit down to work on the paper seemingly he's like let's get some air let's get out of here it is compl- it is the thinnest sh- tissue paper sham it is just so it made me laugh because it's like he doesn't even go through the motions of like we don't see that they've been working on it now that they're leaving after the study session he's going to ask her out he like he can't wait he immediately is like no no let's let's blow this off and actually go out on a date which i didn't ask you on but now i'm gonna ask you on i like that when she finally agrees to go on a date with him uh they like you know they agree on a time and stuff and allison goes to walk out of the door 
And Gib says, where? Like, where shall I meet you? Like, this is one of my biggest pet peeves in movies when people <laughs> set up dates and never arrange a location or a time. Yeah, to a, or, or they'll be like, yeah, I'll pick you up for lunch. All right. What? <laughs> like, where, where are you? Do you know where she lives? Like, I nope. like that they just put that time? in there. Like, nope. it really annoys me when people leave that out in movies. It's like just this yeah. ambiguous time and or location of where this date will occur. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he's kind of psyching himself up like, in his dorm room. And, and I really like the scene where his friend is Jimbo, uh, is trying to, like, give him the lines to use for the ladies. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, this, like, real sensitive line. And I feel he's, like, like we've stroking got a connection. his arm and that sort of stuff as he's giving him the, the, the full patter, as it were. Mm-hmm. Which he yeah. uses many times throughout this movie on various Indeed. ladies, or at least tries to. Indeed, and we also at some point in here he also gets the letter from his his friend who's at at you know UCLA or something like that. He's in college in in Southern California, telling him about how amazing it is out there while it's just the brutal winter and it's getting on toward getting on toward Christmas and it's the brutal brutal cold has come to the Northeast and his pal is just uh, in a in a like a parody of almost yeah. of of what you'd expect because they I, that's that's how i always viewed it is that even though he goes there and it actually is this way but it is like the dream southern california college thing which is we don't really go to school and we hang out on the beach and everybody's got there's a beach house and there's a pool and and the the beach is over there and there are girls in bikinis and we're all just partying and drinking beer and that's all we do all the time at southern california university which is not University of Southern California. It's slightly less academic. Anyway. And uh, they have a phone call, don't they? Which I really like. Like, they, Yeah. So um, his friend, what was his friend's name? Uh, Lance. 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 They're, they're having a phone call and like Gib is like freezing in a corridor and Lance is like walking outside by a pool in the sun and he's got a Hawaiian shirt on and his girl's playing volleyball and it's like, it's just, it's just fantastic to just watch this like night and day. It's like, hey, it's amazing here. And he's like, these, his friends uh, is, is, um, has a, a lady in his room and there's ver- uh, various vo- uh, sounds coming from the room. So he's just like yeah. completely shut out in this cold corridor listening to his friend being like, come on, man, this is a sure thing over here. Get your way mm-hmm. to California. Um, so they start the journey to California, right? Um, and he goes to like this board and it's like some ride. Like what? what is that about? Okay, like, so so on? yeah, so, so Anthony Edwards tells him, come to California. She's got to go on her semester at sea on December 22nd or whatever, which is hilarious because that's exactly when you would start the semester at sea is right before Christmas time. That's not a thing. But anyway, that's the, the idea here is you got to get to see her before she goes off and leaves because she's a sure thing. She was in a parochial school or something. She has built up as this uh, basically like she's beautiful and will have sex with you so come to california and you know also it's warm here but you got to get here by a certain date and it's about to be the christmas break so he goes to the the rideshare board which mike this was a thing that there would be a place that you could go if you were i had they had this when i was in college i never used it but you, you if you were driving to i went to school in san diego southern california university we didn't have the swimming pool and the girls playing volleyball in the swimming pool i have to say as somebody who went to a southern california university but um they would have the board and it would have like driving to LA um you know and and you would people would like sign up to go with them and and you drop them off and we actually had that when we went to LA for Thanksgiving one year from up here my uh my wife's sister was at Berkeley and she had a 
she had a, a friend and it was the, like, you know, it was the same idea. It's like we dropped her off along the way because she lived in the northern part of L.A. So we kind of went out of our way a little, dropped her off and then continued on. And back in the day before the Internet, especially, that was sort of how you did it is you you pinned these messages up and they did like ride share and you'd share, you know, you'd buy the gas or whatever. And uh, so everybody would win. And you you that was how people got uh, maybe not across the country. I don't know. That's kind of extreme, but it would totally that the ride sharing thing would would happen. So they they do that, right? They go on a ride share, and <laughs> the funny thing is, is that when uh, Gib well, gets in the car, Allison is there, right? Yeah, Just, she is also taking this ride share uh, in the car that is being uh, driven by uh, a very young Tim Robbins. Yep, and him, Tim Robbins, and his lady. Are singing show tunes. They are a lovely, yeah. wholesome couple, and the whole time, Allison and Gib are just at each other's throats because you know they've uh, Gib tried to to get fresh, I guess, with Allison, and she wasn't having none of it. Mm-hmm. And so now that they don't really like each other so much, but um, they're mis- they're wacky and mismatched in the back of this car with the, the the husband and wife in the front who are super perky and don't have kids of their own, so they're expecting this is going to be a really fun road trip with the college kids, and the college kids are silent and staring daggers at each other, and uh, and there's a lot of funny contrast, and they sing the show tunes, and um, and they're totally bringing down the the, the happy couple. Um, and then it gets to the point where. Uh, they get thrown out onto the road and they have to make their own way, right? Like Tim Robbins has just had enough and he just chucks them out of the car. So they begin the process. Well, you remember the reason why. Ultimately, he goes, uh, Gib, after after having a thing where we hear about that she's got this boyfriend, Jason, sounds like a terrible guy, uh, in, in L.A., um, that uh and and he they are sharing the hotel room and she's gonna says i've got a schedule it's very proto when harry met sally in some ways like she's super she's super uptight and he's not and so um she's like i got a schedule you'll sleep on the bed and alternating nights and i'll sleep on the on the floor and we'll alternate but tonight you're on the floor and uh he gets really frustrated with that and he he needles her in the car the next day and says come on you got to do something spontaneous and she says i like to do things that are spontaneous when it's been planned out or whatever she says it's very funny and then he finally basically gets her to to take to lift her shirt up and show her uh boobs to the on on an oncoming bit of traffic and this outrages tim robbins and uh and and his wife and they 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 throw him out of the car well, in the because middle of they nowhere. get pulled over by the police and he gets a ticket yeah. right and oh so- that's true that's true cut <laughs> cut to he's being written up for indecent exposure and reckless driving and whatever else for things that w- or would not be his fault but he's the driver of the car i guess and uh at that point they just leave them they leave them by the side of the road in a place that looks suspiciously like where i grew up it's like the the it's very clearly the foothills of northern california which is where they shot a lot of this movie but it's supposedly out in the middle of the united states somewhere um, so because I knew where you grow up and that kind of thing, right? Um, Gib and uh, Allison go hitchhiking at this point. So have you ever hitchhiked? No. Okay. It seems horrific to me as a thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Like it's I, I don't, I don't like I don't like meeting people, Mike, and hitchhiking is meeting people roulette. <laughs> no. Never. Uh, there's this one scene uh, where Allison, uh, the, Allison and Gib have had a big argument, and she jumps into a van. He tells her not to go. Gib jumps into the back of the truck, and yeah. um, Allison is kind of accosted by the gentleman driving the car. And he, and then so then Gib jumps into the to the front of the car and like acts like a crazy person. Yeah, uh, it's it's a really great scene, and it's and like he saves her. 
I'm talking about a total maniac. Like it's it's really it's, it, fantastic. They try very hard to lighten it because it's very dark that basically she's been she's been uh, picked up by a, a a guy who picks up pretty girl hitchhikers and and rapes them. <laughs> that's yep. that's a dark way to go. But then it's very quickly counterbalanced by the fact that that Gib pops up in the in the back of the of the truck and is looking in the window, which is a very funny moment because you're like, oh man, he's back there. And then he pops into the. They pull off by the side of the road and he pops into the door. And the guy claims that Allison is his wife. And so Jock he's like, oh, your wife. And and he goes like a crazy person and he says I, I i'm now i'm just gonna go out i'm gonna take my wife take your wife with me <laughs> yeah. and, and he pulls her out and pulls the stuff out of the back as the guy speeds off and and it's a it's a nice moment i guess where where um she is willing to forgive some things about him because you know he he was looking out for her uh i like um it's kind of interesting to me how this movie at this point becomes like a buddy cop movie like yeah it, it, which i wasn't expecting <laughs> yeah right? this is the I, for me this is the moment where the movie flips over into yeah. into brilliant is like we've set for half an hour we've sort of set up that they're in opposition really the pitch of this movie is these two people who don't like each other but actually are going to fall in love um are forced to hitchhike across the country when you know and this is where it starts it's really it's right here yeah, because it becomes one of those scenarios where like they grow to love each other and they're pushed mm-hmm. apart. Like it's it becomes that, which I wasn't expecting this movie to be at all. Um, I really love it when uh, so they're going to get a bus together, right? They they end up hitchhiking to a bus station and they're about to get a bus and have their first real heartwarming moment where um, Allison gives give the money to get a bus ticket, but she's gonna go earlier than him. Um, so she leaves to get the bus. He sits down, start watching TV. They and they quickly just do a quick cut of the camera angle, and Allison has gotten off the bus, and she's just standing over him, watching the TV with him. I really liked oh. that moment. That was kind of, that was really nice. Yeah, she doesn't give him the money yet. She offers to give him the money later, but he doesn't have the money uh, oh, at that I point. Thought she gave him the money at that she, point. No, no, oh, she okay. offers to give him like fifty dollars or something like that of her oh, seventy dollars, but right. he he refuses, and he he's basically going to just sort of sit there. At the bus station, I think is how it is. But she she can't. This is her opportunity to not leave him behind. So she doesn't leave him behind. Okay. And they're gonna they're gonna go on and you know go on together and hitchhike the rest of the way. So then they kind of like they're going from place to place, like they're growing closer together, right? During this mm-hmm. period of time, um, they're warming up to each other, uh, even to the point where like. Gib gets angry that Allison is on the phone to her boyfriend. Right? Yeah, and he goes yeah, he gets out. Ru- and gets drunk. He goes out and gets drunk. Yeah, in a bar because um, because he's he Hot thought bucket. that they they were making that connection, mm-hmm. but she's still talking to the boyfriend. And he comes back and he's super drunk, but she like tucks him in at night and that sort of stuff. It's kind of yeah. kind of cute. And then the next day, like he's he's rushing her to leave, and she leaves this schedule book that she has, which has all of her money in it, and she's planned out this whole trip for them. She leaves it in the hotel. They go on a few different hitchhiking adventures before they realize uh, that the book has actually been lost. And it, but and then the it starts it, to rain. <laughs> <laughs> it starts to rain, but the way that they do, they do the the schedule book being lost is fantastic. She's like, right, we can eat every two hundred miles. So they go to a certain point, they go to a cafe. They're so excited to go in and eat. They're like talking about what they're going to order. They walk in, and the camera just stays on the door for a few seconds, and then they stall <laughs> back out again. And Gibbs like, how could you lose your schedule book? And I really like that at this point they've quickly assumed the stereotypical roles of a married couple, mm-hmm. 
which is really cute. Then it starts yeah. to rain and they start to like try and find a place. And then Alison remembers that she has a credit card that can only be used in emergencies. Uh, so then cut to this extremely lavish hotel that they're in with this beautiful meal that they're eating. They're drinking right, It's wine. the only place that took credit cards. Of course. They're eating veal and salmon. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where the movie uh, ends up for me like having more heart than I expected. Like mm-hmm. there's this scene that evening where they're lying in bed together. Like usually it'd be one of them on the bed, one of them on the floor. But this is the first night that they're, they're going to share a bed together. Uh, like nothing's really going on. Because she trusts him. She yeah. she says, you know, this is unlike before. She's like, no, no, you can sleep on the bed too. It's fine. She's like, there's a there's a level of trust that they have with each other having yep. been through all of this. And in the morning, uh, he wakes up and his arms kind of around her. On, mm-hmm. And and uh, he's super apologetic. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I feel really bad. And, she, and, and, and um, so he's learned this, you know, he's trying to honor her choices and yep. and and be a good guy and be a good friend and her response is like it's fine right like she because she does she totally trusts him it's fine and they, they they have built that connection now where it's the complete opposite of that first hotel room scene where he decides he's going to sleep on the bed and she just goes and sleeps on the floor because and then know, gib goes and stands out on the veranda to cool down i assume like he's just like i'm yep. gonna go stand on the veranda like and he mm-hmm. just goes out there and just stands there for a while yep. uh, but it's it's really nice how they like they warm to each other in this way but they end up uh getting to la so they get into this truck and uh allison is asleep or at least they believe that she is asleep and gib is talking to the truck driver and telling uh, telling him about the sure thing, the reason that he's going to California. Because at this point, Gib is pretty convinced that he hasn't got a shot, right? Because Allison seems to still be hung up on her boyfriend. Well, that, that conversation actually begins with the guy saying, um, you know, you, you know, she's you, you and your girlfriend and uh, and. He says no. She, you know, she's not my girlfriend. She's got a boyfriend in L.A. And the and the truck driver says something like, "Oh, that's a you know, that's a shame." And John Cusack like looks back and makes sure she's asleep, and he says, "Yeah, it is." And it's like that's his moment of like revealing that he, you know, he's written her off and is very sad about it. But she's got a boyfriend, and he, that's just how it is, and he's got to deal with it. And um, and what happens next is that they're talking about the sure thing, and that's when she wakes up. Yep. So she doesn't hear him nope. regret the fact that he can't be with her because she's got a boyfriend. All she hears is that he's going to go to uh, Anthony Edwards's place and uh, meet Nicolette Sheridan. But the truck driver puts the foot down, right? He's like, you yeah. can't waste this opportunity. Like he's got to no. get in there. She's going to be. She's going to be gone in in a couple of days. It's like, all right, if you pay the speeding tickets, and, they, <laughs> and off they there. off they go with the truck through other parts of california that we're being shown and then it's really great like they are, they're in the same university right so uh, ucla apparently yeah. yeah allison is going to visit her boyfriend who i think his name was jason yes he's jason and he he's really boring and likes tea yeah so he's the worst the worst <laughs> and he wears glasses realize that he is the <laughs> worst human Ugh. being any you find a jason who went to college in southern california drinks uh drinks tea. tea wears glasses uh super boring boring dump him dump him Ladies, dump him. Why would anybody want to spend time with a guy like that? Yeah. Um, Excuse me, I'm going to sip my tea now. Yeah, please do. Their, their nights really diverge at this point. Like, Allison is, like, super bored now of her boyfriend and everything about him. She, like, is... They're playing cards. Yeah. She wants she wants to shotgun a beer because <laughs> Kib taught her that. And and he's he wants to make tea and play cards. And when she says, let's do something exciting, he says, how about I spot you 50 points at cards? So it's insulting because he's saying she's not very good at it. And still really boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And then uh, Gib is off at a party, right, where he Wild meets party. the sure thing. Mm-hmm. And but then Allison sees the party, and she wants to go to a party too. So they she kind of arrives with her, with her boyfriend, and uh, at this point, Gib isn't sure if he wants to go through with the sure thing because he's in love with Allison. But when yeah. he sees them two coming together, he's like, "Screw it!" And there's this whole scene where they're like both as couples dancing near each other, and then oh, yeah. it comes out that. Uh, Gib is actually a virgin, even though he had claims of sexual prowess, but it seems like that has not been the case. Or, um, or I, I'm not clear on if that's actually the case, because they say in the first scene in the movie, he talks about having sex a few times. I think he and might. So, I, th- I, I, yeah, I know that. I think that was bravado. Yeah, but I think it's possible, though, that because the implication is that Anthony Edwards has also downplayed him to the sure thing yeah. to make her, I guess, seem more charitable toward him. It's, you know, the sexual politics of a teen sex movie from the 80s are questionable at best. But I think that's because he also, Anthony also, Edwards also suggests that he might be gay. So that's in the mix here, too, which is not, you know, it's not the best. But the idea is, regardless, uh, Gib feels insulted by Anthony Edwards. Um, and then it also, there's a breakdown between Allison and Jason because um, she is way too familiar with Gib and he is not aware of the fact that they've been traveling together and sleeping in the same ho- motel oh, rooms so and all of those things. And and so he's like, how do you know this? How does he know what you look like in the morning? And, you know, all of these things, right? So it's everything is kind of falling apart. She's like complaining to her boyfriend about how much this boy annoys her. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of uh, it it kind of cuts to back at university, right? They're well, back the, at school. So, so the last scene in L.A. is um, he takes Nicolette Sheridan, the sure thing, to the bedroom. And they're talking. And earlier, I should say there, there's a, there's a. He has a series of dream sequences with Nicolette Sheridan that are that are kind of amusing. Where there's there's a really great one where he's uh, where she is sitting by the side of the pool, basically begging him to have more sex with her. And he's sitting in this pool chair, floating around and saying, "No, you know, I'm tired and all of that." That is, it's staged very amusingly. And then the, there are several of those. Uh, which are very, you know, teen boy fantasy kind of scenarios. And then the last one, he has that same kind of scenario and it's Allison, right? So that's that moment of like, oh, he's really got now. So here he goes up with her like uh, this is the time he's finally going to be able to do it with the sure thing. And um, and we uh, we cut away. And we don't we don't really see a realization of what exactly happens there other than that we know that he is, uh, you know, he's thinking about Allison. And we cut back to college after winter break. And Gibb has written a paper that the lecturer starts to read aloud. Yes, our, our Swedish lecturer, yes. And it's called The Sure Thing and it explains uh-huh. the whole story up to the point where he says that he couldn't go through with it because That's the, right. the Sure Thing wanted uh, do you, Gibb to, to do say you love to her me? that... that he loved her and he couldn't do that because now he knew what love was. The answer was no. Boom, boom. <laughs> and at that moment, she's looking back. Allison was looking back at him mm-hmm. and he's looking at her and she realizes that uh, that he didn't go upstairs and uh, have sex with the sure thing because he's in love with her. And this is the way he chose to express it is several weeks later in an essay in the middle of class being read by the Swedish lady. The only way As to express do. true love, Jason. As you do. So I really like this movie. <laughs> the problem, Good, My problem with this movie is I'd seen Say Anything. Uh, yeah. You yeah, know? well, it, it's it's it's... It's funny too because he's like kind of a proto. He he's more 
intelligent than the guy in Say Anything, I think, because in, in some ways, because he does go off to like an Ivy League college yep. instead of sort of staying home and trying not to uh, join the army. Um, but he is a similar kind of character. And Allison is very much uh, like the lead in the female lead and say anything right that they're they're similar i would say if you we haven't we haven't done uh when harry met sally yet have we no uh, have you seen that movie no okay maybe we'll do that it, that's another rob reiner movie um with uh meg ryan and billy crystal and there is in the beginning of that movie there's a, a drive from chicago to new york that they take um that also i feel like uh, is very similar and their relationship is very similar to the the relationship in this movie so so you see you saw them out of order i feel like this is like a a proto movie of other movies like it leads to say anything and it leads to when harry met sally um but it it is not and it leads to high fidelity maybe in some ways i don't know um but it uh but it is earlier right so it's yeah it's not quite as fully formed say anything kind of picks up after two minutes and here i feel like it takes 25 minutes of setup before the movie really starts to crank and the first 25 minutes is not particularly warm or likable because it's about you know freshmen in college who are on the make and it's just kind of like that stuff really doesn't interest me and then it then it really um kicks into gear and then the last whatever the last hour of it is spectacular but you're right it is it is like a lot of these other movies and Cusack is a, is a lot like he is yeah. in say anything. And that it is a similar kind of mismatch relationship. And it's just because I loved that movie so yeah. much. That's a, that's a better movie than this movie. Yeah. But I did really enjoy this movie. I also liked that it was like a hundred minutes that felt right. Yeah. A lot of the yeah, movies yeah. that we've been watching are two hours more. So many two hour yeah. long movies that are made these days. And this is 95 and it's, it's, it's uh tight and bright, as they say. It is a solid, um, you know, it, it, it sort of sweeps you along. It's very, it's uh, yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. I have not seen this one in a very long time, and I remember liking it. And as I started to watch it, I thought, oh, no, what if my memory is faulty and it's not that good? But then, like I said, uh, 20 minutes in or somewhere, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, no this re- is really great. And I will say my... My experience, actually, I, I part of the reason I love this movie is that it's got some resonance for me, and it's not because there's that boring Jason who drinks tea. Um, it, it's because I, I, my, my relationship. So I met my wife in college, and I had a girlfriend, and she had a boyfriend, and I see us in this movie in the sense that um, these two characters make a connection. But they are not capable, and it's one-sided in in the case of this. Well, unless you consider the sure thing, the thing that's pulling him. But that she's an illusion. I actually really like that. That although she does exist, um, it is a, it is a stand-in for kind of uh, a male fantasy of a woman as opposed to a real woman, and that's what this movie is about. Is that he falls in love with a real woman, mm-hmm. and and the fantasy is not going to measure up to reality. The reality is better. She's a real woman and he loves her and that is the most important thing, right? And and it just but I, I have that 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 mirror because I that was exactly the same situation my my wife and I were in in college where we were dating other people and we formed a really tight connection and and um you know there was definitely a moment where um where uh she broke up I heard that she had broken up with her boyfriend right after I graduated from college and it was exactly like the moment in the movie where where he says you broke up with him. <laughs> it was like, 
Ah, oh, what a relief. Well, now now there are, there's nothing stopping us from getting together. And that is how this movie ends. So that's great, too. But I do like that overarching message that we for all of the stuff at the beginning that's kind of gross, especially, I think, 30 years later about things you say to get women to go out with you and to get women to sleep with you. In the end, what's the core message of this movie? That the sure thing is not what he wants, that she's a fantasy and that... Um, and that uh, that Allison is who he wants, and she's a real person, and she's not perfect for him, in the sense that she does all sorts of things that he doesn't like, and he does all sorts of things that she doesn't like. But in the end, that is the that they're the ones who should be together. Aw, I, I like these movies of like the heartwarming love story. I'm, I'm a sucker yeah. for it, and and this one ticks those boxes. So recommended. Yeah. Another great Mike at the movies pick, Jason. You you're doing very well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is I'm I'm happy we could combine Rob Reiner and John Cusack. This is where they come together. So now we'll uh, the past will diverge again, but but we got it. We got them together right here. This this, this series is all about Cusack for me. Gotta say, <laughs> we gotta go for high fidelity soon. I think. Yeah, it's in the '90s, but oh. uh, or or maybe even 2000. But it it may be we may have to go there. We may have to take a time machine forward to there. Later. If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, you want to head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 64. Uh, thank you so much to the good people, our lovely sponsors today, the great people over at Smile with Texas Band of Five, Hover, Igloo, and Braintree. If you want to find Jason online, head on over to sixcolors.com. Don't forget to sign up for the Six Colors subscription. You can also find Jason. He is at Jasonell, J-S-N-E-L-L, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K. Thanks so much to you for listening as always and we'll be back next time with Upgrade. Until then, say goodbye Jason. Goodbye.